and welcome to WCW vs. NWO podcast, a podcast that analyzes, dissects, and turns on one of the most important eras of professional wrestling history. I'm your host, Dave. In this episode, we look at Super Brawl 8. Now, to be in a Super Brawl, I need some Super Brawlers, and I have some of the best. First, Fergus the Bruiser Looney, how are you doing? What? Your intros are getting weirder and weirder. Like, <laughs> that They're wasn't reaches. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't really intelligent. It was just like super brawl, super brawl, super brawler. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you need to you need to work further down the list and get rid of the ideas first. I think so. I'm good. I'm good though. Uh, ready to tape my wrists and uh, knock out some fool's teeth. I guess is what you're trying to get across. Of course, of course. And from the other side of the pond, Connor the Animal O'Donnell. How are you doing? <laughs> Ooh, I'm the animal. Yeah, <laughs> not not at all. <laughs> uh, I'm doing good, Dave. Uh, yeah, this this show was actually on my birthday, so happy birthday to me in mm. 1998. It was it was a good time for to be a kid in the 90s. This show was a, a lot of fun to watch too. It was really fun to look back, and this is weird to say that I'm enjoying WCW. I, I might be enjoying WCW at the moment more than I'm enjoying current wrestling which is amazing to say which is weird right yeah, yeah. I, d- I don't think it's much of a stretch but yeah it is still odd uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is it more odd that dave called it super Bowl eight not super Bowl 1998 well it's technically the eighth one as well i think it is technically, technically. but wcw is not the best like at branding their pay- like why are they numbering this one it's <laughs> yeah. not like it's the wrestlemania yeah. so it's like the wwf going like survivor series Four. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is very funny that like the the most known numbered wrestling event of all time is WrestleMania, and they number it because you know they're all so historic and need to be put apart from everything else. But this is kind of, Super Bowl is kind of a throwaway pay per view, like in their schedule. So why is it numbered of of any of them? It's it's kind of weird. Yeah, it's it's not even like it's a throwover holdover from the older NWA days. Like if if it's actually eight, then. It's only eight years old and it's 1990. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> as weird as uh, the naming scheme of this pay-per-view are, have uh, have the Nitros and Thunders been any weirder? Not really, Dave. It's actually been pretty much part of the course and <laughs> it's actually still been enjoyable. Thunder's actually an enjoyable product and we've pretty much just have two major storylines that we have to talk about that's not like really mentioned on this pay-per-view. And one is... Macho Man basically leaving the NWO, which is big news, and they treat it like big news as as it should. This isn't your big boss man leaving the NWO. This isn't uh, IRS leaving the NWO. This is a huge, huge talent getting disbanded. Although it's in storyline, they're like, is he leaving the NWO? And he still comes out to the NWO music, but yes, he's out. <laughs> we it's pretty much on on the wall here. Not not to spoil. Um the main event at all but did i spy somebody new in the group also that's been added i was wondering if you guys catch that yeah because they yeah. don't notice that and it's the most like shoe in <laughs> oh i noticed oh it. here's a new member <laughs> dave did you notice <laughs> no i didn't notice at all Not because at all. i love these i love these guys so i i have made sure to notice them yeah who is it who is he it is a future tag team champion of the world uh it's brian clark right brian adams yeah or brian adams sorry wow Really, <laughs> he is the newest member of the NWO, and it's just he just comes out. He he talks to Brett, and the the new WCW thing is if you see anybody with a coat on, you have to see it coming now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look. that's what Dusty did, and, not, and that's exactly what Brian Adams did. So not not even really that creative, and people don't really know who this guy is. So <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. The reason I I 
instantly twigged him was because I saw the long hair and I went, why would why would Kev be out twice? Ah, it's not Kev. Right. <laughs> yeah. I originally thought that too. I, I had to rewind. And, no, 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 that's him. And of course, he, he is not he is not mentioned on this pay-per-view, of course. Yeah, he's the only one who's not named in the run-in. It's really strange. <laughs> so last time we saw, of course, she was in DOA, right? Feuding with against like the Nation of Domination. Yeah, good. Yes. Everybody likes bikers, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, apparently, uh, this is according to Wikipedia. I haven't got to dive too deep on it, but he left WWE in protest of the screw job, like partly. Somebody who actually had convictions in the yeah, wrestling that's, industry. Yeah, that's a weird one because, like, he's no—I don't think he's close friends with any of them, or not that I know of. So he just was so disgusted he left. That's a—it's kind of admirable, right? Yeah, it's a, fan, it's a rare one. Crush. To be fair, but yeah, I, I I love him and obviously the other half of Chronic once they eventually get together because they're just two big beefy white guys who just hurt people. Are we going to be uh, covering any of their matches? I, it depends how far we get. To be honest, okay, we'll, we'll make sure we we cover yeah. it. We'll we'll go out of our way to make sure we cover a match. Then yeah. can we cover the kiss demon as well? Uh, I, I don't know if I can make it through that. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do you guys think of uh, Macho leaving the NWO? Then seems Ugh. strange that it's it's Macho is the first one. I wouldn't have probably pegged him, but where else are they going to go with it? There's probably more to say about it when we actually see the matches. But I'm not too surprised that this is what they're doing. Are you surprised that this is kind of the main focus, though? The vacant title isn't really the storyline. Sting's not really the storyline. And instead, we're just kind of focusing on the leader of the NWO and, and Macho Man. Oh, I mean, if I was a rational human being running a company, yes, I wouldn't be focusing on this, but it's not a rational company. <laughs> oh, we have this fresh, original, like, stable, and we've, like, rejuvenated the career of a dying old man. You know what we'll do? We'll revert exactly back to the storyline we were doing pre that stable. That seems like what the crowd really wanted to see then and what they really want to see now. Well, people are enjoying it. I and, mean, and it actually yeah. has been entertaining because this is the weird part that Hogan has been, you know, delivering the same promos for the past like two years, but he actually him and Macho have actually really entertaining exchanges, which is I don't know, it's surprising. And no surprise, and it's gonna be the main event of our of our next show. So you Better strap in and get used to it, but... Okay, okay, yeah, it's hard to see that with only the guys with the pay-per-views, because I'm waiting for these big Sting and DDP moments, and I'm getting more Macho and more Hogan. But I, yeah, if it's working well in the shows, then it's it's hard not to book them like this. Right, and I understand that frustration. Uh, I, th- I think the other big storyline that's been going on is something that I really wish was reserved for DDP, because it doesn't really make sense for somebody like Kevin Nash. Since the fallout from Sold Out... Giant, he is hurt from the jackknife powerbomb from the, the previous pay-per-view. So as we said, they, they make that into a storyline, even though in, in shoot, he's, he's just fine. So in response, J.J. Dillon bans the jackknife powerbomb. Any variation by any wrestler. And Nash, as a result, gets arrested several times in subsequent weeks. <laughs> I love that he gets arrested. Not like, we won't find him or whatever. No, we'll, we'll take him to jail. I, th- I think he does get fine, but that, again, it's the, oh, more Mickey Mouse dollars from the NWO. They got plenty of that, so they, they had to up the, the punishment. Sure, sure. I would have loved the more original punishment. Now you have to take a jackknife powerbomb for everyone you give. We'll just have another lazy wrestler give one to you. So are you guys not outraged as I am about this storyline? This is, I think, atrocious. 
That's it's awful. The issue is they have a real life instant. Like they, I, I think they're on to the right beat. They're like, well, we can say that Nash tried to kill him, and instead of making Nash look like a killer and make faces want to like get revenge, like arrest him for a dangerous move. So they have like ten percent of a good idea there. I don't know about you, but I'm firmly behind man of the people, Kevin Nash, and his determined attempts to become the biggest babyface in the company, as is his right. <laughs> he has deemed himself big sexy now, so that's kind of where we get big sexy Kevin Nash. I was wow, this is where he came from. It was very it's cool. very honky tonk the the way he phrases it. I'm big sexy, big cool, or too sexy, too cool, too something like. Yeah, it's. it's I, I don't understand why he's he's involved. Why this is being pushed so much? But maybe they really care. They want to put Giant back over. So, so here's my question: What what do you think WCW's thinking? Are they trying to put Nash over as a face on purpose? I've always accepted the narrative of the NWO being like the baby faces, but were you know like a, the byproduct of fans accepting the cool heels, like that general transition. But this just seems like no, we are going to make the switch here. It seems like I don't think there's any intention to make him a face whatsoever with this. So they're just idiots. It's just that that's what's way? happening. Yeah, yeah. Because imagine if this was DDP and they banned the diamond cutter and how how over that would be. Yeah, yeah. that's a really good point. So I, I think there's an issue, and I've said this with friends before, and it's a bit of semantics, but I actually don't think a lot of the NWO wrestlers and an extension, a lot of people in the clique, are good wrestlers all the time because they are very talented. Kev is good in the ring when he wants to be, great on mic when he needs to be, right? But they just go into business for themselves in a sense where Kev likes that people like him. He likes being cool. Like he, he can't not. And that's a terrible aspect of wrestling. He should be trying to get people to boo him, but he doesn't really care. He's getting paid a lot of money and having a lot of fucking fun with it and hating some of the people he works with. So he just does this stuff sometimes and it kind of derails stuff. So I think the plan is to make Kev a complete menace and have Giant come back and get, you know, his heat back. But Kev makes that almost impossible because he oozes cool and wants the crowd to like him. Yeah, okay, I, I can agree with that it's it's kind of a little bit of both of like it probably was questionable by the booking, but Nash yeah. also kind of took it upon himself to just like eh, I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna run with it, and I'm gonna get myself over with it. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting like thought experiment. Like, man, if they give this to like the right baby face, this can be over as fuck. Oh yeah, because obviously in the other company. Who are you seeing get arrested? The biggest baby face of the company. Like, oh, yeah. When it, when it was happening, because, you know, when Nash is getting handcuffed, he's people are cheering him. He's saying, fuck authority. Nobody likes Dylan right now. So, yeah, uh, very weird how the, how this all is played out right now. Yeah, D- Dylan seems like a fool now. Like, I know they've botched the storyline with Sting already, but, like, why wouldn't you dislike Dylan for taking the title off the most over baby face in Sting? Right. You well, know, he's, part of he's, it is he's trying to play it down the middle. So, so yeah. naturally, people are just going to hate him because they haven't get really given much to give more to the WCW. That it's more seen as he's trying to chain the NWO down. Yeah, playing down the middle in these scenarios, I think, always ends up bad for the authority figures because it doesn't make much sense because there is no down the middle because the heels cheat all the time. So like they're taking the title off Sting, but they never took the title off Hogan and he cheated a bunch. Yep. So <laughs> yeah, it never makes sense. Of course, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense that the crowd would turn on Dylan. He's a very old school NWA kind of authority figure, and I don't think he meshes that well with uh, what's currently happening in the product. 
There was a time when darkness fell on WCW. When one man was abandoned, banished, and another came to rule. Then, good and evil clashed. The darkness was lifted, and WCW became one once again. Now, the battle continues. Out of an army of shadows, the purveyor of good enters the ring once again. To vindicate a wrong that must be right. A man with hatred in his heart seeks to destroy this vindicator from the sky. But can he do so without ruining all that surrounds him? Speaking of not mashing well with the current product, I wasn't a big fan of the opening uh, vignette here. A bit of a high fantasy voiceover and blinking black and white video telling us that the shadows were lifted by Sting at this main event and there's some shots of the Macho Man Hogan tension and I, I wasn't into this at all. What did you guys think? Made me think the Terminator 2 theme was going to start playing. Yeah. <laughs> what, why does it sound like he's underwater? I don't know. Singing the entire, why he's saying the entire thing. Because it's high fantasy. All of high fantasy is underwater. We know this. So strange. I don't... When I say high fantasy, it's like very articulate and very kind of mystical. What the guy yeah, is saying. Ominous, yeah. ominous. But that's nothing to do with the pay-per-view. This isn't Halloween Havoc and you're using this kind of like language this isn't there's nothing to it's a brawl pay-per-view and you're talking like this is i uh, yeah it's just so out of place and random it's no escaping from alcatraz i'll say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh man i missed those the the light and fireworks show before hand though uh maybe the biggest we've gotten the cast really seeing maybe uh money getting pumped into it and th- these kind of firework shows like especially the ones that you get on nitro sometimes really says uh wcw to me and i'm not sure why it's more attitude error to me not not necessarily specific to them but it's just gross and over the top like completely exorbitant cash spend <laughs> yeah. to look I, bigger I than it. the other i company. love it <laughs> yeah, yeah it's great like it's just all this stupid pageantry like yeah uh, the commentary team this week uh is starting with today because uh that evil scoundrel dusty Rhodes is no longer no longer on the team WCW though. I would have loved to see Dusty healing it up on commentary. I don't know about you guys. Not that I ever mind Mike Tanay being on. I'm I'm kind of glad he's gone. Honestly, I mean it's much better that we have Brain in right now because I, particular tonight he is on fire tonight. I thought he did like one of the best jobs he did. Like all his jokes are on point, and you can tell he was trying to get talent over, which a lot of times he doesn't. So yeah, I, actually was it was a good. really a, a welcome change because like Dusty at Starcade. It really made the show fall flat. Yeah, it's it's a lot more balanced. Two play-by-play guys is a lot easier to handle than two color guys, which is what they had. So, you know, we don't have Dusty on commentary for the re- like for the rest of our run, but you know, and we forgot we didn't mention that in our last episode. So it's it's kind of a nice time to say goodbye to Dusty. I'll, I will miss your random jokes here and there, but <laughs> it, at the same time, it, I don't think commentary was his uh, his best role here. They could have utilized him in better ways. Absolutely fair. They mostly focus on hyping up the main event and the tension now in the NWO, the what's Macho doing, and multiple times through the show, we get kind of references to Macho might be doing crazy things in the back. You never know what Macho Man's doing. They they say that the brawl between Macho and Hogan might just spill out into the ring at any moment. First match of the night, and we get a repeat from the last pay-per-view 
We got uh, the Stevie Reyes Booker T versus newly crowned TV champ Rick Martel. Martel just won it off Booker T. Was it the Nitro before this? Yeah, it was. It was a little like the same week. Yep. Yeah, same week, and a bit of a different Martel. I asked. I actually had to ask uh, Connor before this, uh, before the podcast started. Is Martel a heel now? And apparently not. Apparently he's not been healing it up at all during the Nitros or Thunders. But I, he's definitely the heel here to me. You're just being fooled by the old fashioned trick of white versus black trunks there, I think. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. A, a part of it is too, it's, <laughs> it's something that we haven't really seen on the podcast as much. We, I've, I've been seeing this on Nitros and Thunders for several months now, but the crowd, they erupt for Booker. And you can, you can oh, see yeah. like the, the sea of people raising the roof in the crowd as soon as his music hits. Yeah, they, they love him. He's getting more and more over every time we see him. And I think he's getting slightly better every time we see him, which is uh, something that shows in this match. Now, Rick is also an accomplished wrestler. I've been really impressed by Booker T in this kind of, this kind of middling section of his career. So another bit of a stimulation, a bit of a difference from this match. Not only is it for the TV title, but the winner then has to defend their TV title against Saturn. The way the way they word that, it's as if so. If you win this match and lose it to Saturn, that there's been two champions that night. Not like it's a gauntlet match, which doesn't matter at all. Just something that I find a little funny. It's a little weird booking. I don't know why Martel isn't like the he he should get rewarded to be in the second match instead of Saturn. I don't know why Saturn yeah. got like the gift here or why it's not a three-way match that'd be nice apparently we do we do get some uh three-way matches in wcw and in the recent yeah recent future yep uh so raven's flock is watching from the crowd uh saturn kidman and raven are the only ones that look like they actually are grungy at all for sure Uh, one thing i will say is this really annoyed me because it completely distracted the crowd right from the get-go yeah i like the i like the storyline that they bring up that they're scouting the match for saturn but yeah, other yeah. than that, they're always a distraction. Everybody hates Lodi, so it's just it brings heat away from the match. Although this yeah. match didn't have any heat, anyways. <laughs> Fantastic analyticism by both men to start more aggressive kind of. I thought it was heelish, but maybe Gus is right. Maybe I'm being tricked. Uh, work from Martel, but definitely Booker is the favorite uh, fan favorite in the match. Uh, Mid match when Martel goes for a roll up, Booker holds the rope. Martel rolls backwards, which looked fantastic anyway back onto his feet, but is immediately met by a sidekick. And that looks absolutely sick. Fantastic spot by Batman. I love Tanae's line that you could cut tradition with a knife. I have no idea what that means. Is tradition typically tense? Yeah. Maybe tradition just needs to relax a little, get a massage or something like that. Swing, a bit of a swing and a miss, I think, by Tanae. There's a euphemistic joke in there somewhere. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Booker T hits his uh, missed elbow spinner-rooney combo that we're getting so used to now, but Martel hits a big power slam and spinebuster to take control. He applies a Quebec crab, uh, but Booker is too close to the ropes and gets the break. Crossbody off Brett's rope is rolled through by Booker, and we get a lot of big spots and close falls. Booker misses his own crossbody, but hits a sidekick near mid-air when Martel comes off the top again, and this gets the three count. So not not a, the longest match, but I think a, a lot better from both men. Well-paced match, athletic, great spots. What do you guys think of this? I thought it still wasn't that great. I think the chemistry doesn't really gel with these two. But what makes this match better is the crowd. The crowd was way more into it because they didn't have the stupid Hogan promo to precede this match. So they were actually <laughs> into it. Yeah. 
But uh, yeah, no, this this is this worked for me. I, I definitely enjoyed it, and it's good to see Booker get the win. I thought it was okay, considering what we know after the fact. It's about as good as it's going to get. I don't want to go spoiling the whole thing in one go. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about what you're hinting at. Yeah. I think at the end of the match, a good idea. Saturn doesn't wait at all and attacks Booker straight away from the bell, locks in the rings of Saturn and goes for a bunch of quick in attempts after the ref breaks up the rings. I, I like this bit of urgency from Saturn. It sets a good pace for the start of the match and lets uh, lets Booker just do nothing for a while and work up that big baby face momentum. Saturn doesn't let up, and this is a nice psychology spot I like as well. Even when Booker whips him into the barricade to what maybe looks like a, a bit of respite, Saturn just sprints, doesn't get up and walk to him, sprints straight back over to him and starts fighting again. Some incredible spots, I think, from Saturn, or some uh, crazy ones anyway. He slings up to the outside, and then there's a Vader bomb from the apron onto Booker lying on the outside. That looks like it hurt Saturn way more <laughs> than it hurt Booker. Yeah, I was I was actually kind of surprised with uh, Saturn's uh, selling in this match as well. I thought it was... Uh kind of an upgrade from what he was what Booker was working with from before and probably the best work I think we've seen from Saturn so far even though I wouldn't say this is like his best match or no, I I still don't think he's getting that great a reaction to be honest mm-hmm. he just seems kind of there to me absolutely fair yeah it, it doesn't help because like the, what they're going for in this match is the as time goes on they're both getting exhausted especially yeah. Booker yeah, they, they get a lot of those double down spots. We get a couple with a big a back body drop from the second rope from Saturn. When he goes so well again, uh, he gets front suplexed off the top rope. And then uh, Booker comes down himself with a sweet missile drop kick. I forgot he could do such a nice missile drop kick. Booker goes for a springboard from the top, but Saturn uh, saves the spot completely. Booker almost slips and Saturn just like very calmly puts out one hand and kind of stabilizes him and then throws him over himself to kind of reverse it, to throw Booker off the top. But that, that could have almost been a disaster. Booker misses a Harlem hangover after a scissors kick. Saturn hits a bridging Northern Light suplex and a German with a bridge for two close two counts. Booker flips out of a back suplex and hits a Harlem side kick for a very abrupt three count for the win. Both men pulling out a lot of high spots and all the stops near the end of the match. Decent pace. What do you guys uh, think of this? I, I was actually a really big fan of it, but I know you guys aren't as big on Saturn as I am. Yeah, I in, in the end, I really liked it. I, I think I liked it because Booker finally gets his opportunity and he gets the pop he deserves from the crowd, even though we'll, we'll, we'll talk about how it's weird that it's not really his opportunity. But I thought Saturn made him look good and I thought Booker really showed his athleticism and it's not the greatest match, but under the circumstances, yeah, this was a much better result. So the elephant in the room, uh, Booker is not meant to have this title and uh, never was. Which is so dumb. Uh, <laughs> so... I got halfway through and I'm like, man, they're doing a really, really good job of like setting up Booker's is like no die baby face, really resilient, blah, blah, blah. And then it gets afterwards and I go, oh, that wasn't the plan at all. Okay. Uh, so I'll give props to Perry and Booker for just basically coming up with a match entirely off of the seat of their pants because of Martel injuring himself. Yeah, which he, he ruptures his MCL mid-match. Which not only um, tells me, okay, cool, cool, they're good wrestlers, but also B, they didn't even trust Booker enough to regain his title in the first place. So now I'm like, okay, typical WCW, can't do the right thing. And they've actually just like fallen into what they should have done, I think, when you look at it 
from behind. Once you once you look at it afterwards, you're like, oh, so he wasn't, and he wasn't, and he wasn't. Oh, WCW, what are you doing? This is so poor. Um, what, what's the match itself worse? was fine. Uh, what's even worse, if I remember right, Martel is supposed to go over both men. So I, oh, I, yeah. like, I like Martel. And he's, as I said, I think he's a good worker, even though he seems a bit of a man out of time in the current generation. But you have Saturn, whether you like him or uh, like him or not, and Booker, whether you like him or not, two young guys that are impressing on the scene at that moment that you're trying to get over and you were going to put Martel over both of them in one night. Uh, yeah, all I can think of in terms of why they would decide to do that is because Martel is older, they're just trying to cash in whatever they have got left with him before it's too late. But just looking at the people they have on the roster, you shouldn't even be considering Martel as, as something like that. With the people on the roster that were missing, there's an argument Martel shouldn't be on the card tonight. You know? <laughs> oh, by far, yeah. I would. Yeah. I would much put, just put Eddie Guerrero in this spot. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say that a lot in this pay per view. Why isn't <laughs> Eddie Guerrero in this spot? Like he is just kind of gone <laughs> yeah. from WCW right now. He's yeah, just in random tag matches right now, which is just insane to me. The guy that has the best match in the company last year, it's just kind of like, nah, we'll just have him sit out. Or there's random older guys you could put, like, you could have these guys go over. Maybe he's too high on the card. But, you know, Piper is in your company. You've bought Piper in, who doesn't have that many miles or that many matches left. I guess maybe you're saving them. But, like, couldn't you have one of these guys go over him? That's a good use for a man you don't even have on the flipping card. You have a bunch of guys you stuck in the NWO that you didn't know what to do with from WBE have one of them job and then you have an NWO presence in your early card as well. Just yeah. I get I like yep. him as a wrestler a lot, but why Martel, you know? Why not Buff Bagwell? He's just kind of wandering yeah. as well. Yep. Mm. And you don't have to give him the title and it doesn't matter that much if he loses. Like he's not there to win matches yet and the NWO is so over, even if you have them job, they're still gonna be over, right? He has a very visible character too. Yep. Yep. Not not that we're trashing Martel here, because no. I think he actually does a, a great job in here, even though he gets hurt. I didn't even notice that he was hurt. No. Like I, I had to I had to look up when did he get hurt. And yeah. then I was like, oh, okay. It was this it was a random hip toss like into the ropes and his leg like yeah. catches the rope. And you can tell him wince really badly, but you can tell he buys a little time, but after that, he he pretty much wrestles like normal. So mm. it, it's pretty incredible because it's the hip toss where Booker, you know, basically hip tosses him all the way across the ring. Yeah. It's that kind of show of strength hip toss. Yeah, he, okay. I can remember this. Yeah, he just kind of lands a bit awkwardly. All right. Yeah, he lands on his hip and also like he bangs his uh, knee off the, like top of his leg, knee off the bottom rope. And like your MCL can just go, like especially if you're a little older, it can just go for fucking barely any reason. And he finishes the match and I, uh, only that I had known he was injured before watching you can tell once or twice he winces and like holds the rope to hold himself up. Like just every now and again, these tiny signals. But the finish of his impromptu finish, because remember, he was supposed to go over, was I'm going to jump off the top rope with my effed up knee and you're going to kick me in midair and we're going to hope it's fine. Unsurprisingly, as brave as this is, Martel like injured it worse than he it was already injured, apparently. They think he like did way more damage by coming off the top rope. And it's the reason he's gone for a while. 
It's it's just insane to me because yeah, that finish is sweet. Yeah, it so does get good. a pop of the crowd, and yeah, it looks looks great. So as far as an opening kind of like segment to the pay per view, it went on a little long, but I enjoyed it. Is it was kind of it was something different as well because usually what we get from the opening match is either a cruiserweight match or it's like some kind of tag match that's just kind of lame, or the lucha match which was which was fun uh, last pay per view. So this was a. It was it was a nice change up. It some sometimes we 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 get some duds here, but this I thought this was a pretty good uh pretty good outing. Yeah, I think you guys pretty much covered it. I I think it, it's grand. It's probably one of the weaker openers for me, but definitely could have been a lot worse when you when you think about it. I, I won't harp on too much longer about it, but one interesting thing to think of: Booker's supremely talented, and like there's an argument he would have always made it, but this isn't a small thing for Booker. I think I think. You guys are absolutely right. The crowd is really reacting to him, and I think this championship isn't small in his overall career trajectory. It also shows the higher-ups in WCW, wow, actually the crowd love Booker. Not just like, not just small pops, Not they love Booker, and this makes him like a, an out-and-out babyface as well. Does Booker's career go as far if he doesn't, if, you know, Martel doesn't rupture his MP- MCL? Yeah, it's really interesting what if. But uh, yeah, last match for Rick Martel in the cast. Yeah, I, I guess we, sh- we should say that. Uh, also, he only has one more match in his career after this. He recovers and uh, slightly ironically has a match with Stevie Ray, the other half of this Harlem Heat tag team, where he gets re-injured and uh, decides the career, uh, decides to hang it up, hang up the boots. It's a, sign. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's a sign. Yeah. Hang it up. Yeah, Harlem Heat just, uh, just completely dominating this man's career. <laughs> Well, of course, of course, this was a complete accident, and I think both uh, incidents are nothing to do with the participants of the match. Just uh, freak stuff. Onto something even more tragic than this match number two, <laughs> and we have the man who lo- who looks exactly like his video game counterpart, La Parka, and acts like it, and he does an amazing. I, I said I'm not the biggest La Parka fan, but I popped big for him doing the NWO point to himself on the Titantron. I thought that was really funny. That, that got me. And then uh, I guess Disco Inferno is here as well. Well, before, before we talk about stupid Disco, uh, something very egregious that happened right off the bat that I'm sure you guys didn't notice because I'm, I'm used to his music. For the network, I don't know why they gave him, it's either they gave him dis- different music for the network or WCW forgot what La Parga's music was for the show <laughs> and used something else. Because future matches, I, I had to double check, he uses his usual music because I thought maybe he changed his music. Nope. That's a shame because I noted it was pretty solid. I, I thought it was good. Because <laughs> <laughs> his usual theme is like the... It's very slap bassy type. Yeah. Oh yeah, I remember. I think I remember from the game. No, I, d- so. I didn't notice that. That's that's pretty bad. I've started watching. Uh, I won't mention the site. I guess we could get in trouble. But I've I've start watching off of the network because I want to hear their original music. It happened way too often that the network had like different music because of trademark stuff. Yeah, there's uh there's some good and bad that comes with that. Like uh, for Jericho, for example, I think using his WWE theme like kind of works better for him. Yeah, you know, that theme is so iconic. But uh, because like if you listen to his even or uh, his uh Pearl Jam. Song, oh, <laughs> yeah, so that even flow rip. God, it's so, it's so just, I like it, but yeah, it doesn't even, work. It's just even it doesn't flow. work for his character. Yeah, it's yeah. not close, even. It's not close to being close. It's just one hundred percent even flow. But yeah, sorry, Dave. I sorry to interrupt you to the uh, the match of who has the better time. I'm, I was going to say uh, before we go is like, is there anybody with worse ring gear than Disco Inferno? 
right so now, right now of what we've watched like it's like black gaff tape on his pants <laughs> yeah. i just he's so bad oh my goodness he's so bad oh like he, he's worse than goldberg and i don't think it's well, i don't i don't know about like that a, it's... a worse wrestler than goldberg yeah definitely mm, yeah i, I, I think, think so. so i know well i think he, we'll talk about it after the yeah. after the let's, let's go through the match and we'll, we'll talk <laughs> we'll, we'll before, some points. before we trash this go we'll make some points about the match i i actually enjoy the parker's stick a lot in this he's taunting disco the entire time doing his like disco taunt dancing with, yeah yeah dancing I, with, see i laughed with i laughed at first but he does it like five, five times, times yeah, yeah. So Parker does his usual opening shtick of seeing what he wants to do with his chair. He just wings it at Disco, but Disco doesn't know what to do. And Barry grazes Disco's leg and he sells it like he's been hit straight in the face. Yeah, that, that had to have been a mistake. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he was supposed to just hit him. Maybe Disco's actually afraid. Maybe we don't know. It's like people not liking getting kicked by Ultimo Dragon. Maybe the Parker's just mm. winging people in the face with chairs. Like, come on, dude. Although it was weird. It wasn't like your typical steel chair. It's like the plastic chairs you see at like a magic tournament. You guys, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Maybe it's his from home. Maybe they have to bring their entire ring gear. Like, can I have a chair? No, no. Maybe Laparka is playing magic as well. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say living the gimmick, but I think I'd prefer him to be the one playing magic at this. <laughs> <laughs> he just brings it to supermarkets and stuff like that with him. He just can't. This, this seems particularly relevant. Considering, do you do you guys know what Laparka means? By the way, no. No, I don't. Yeah, no. Yeah, if you do want to take a guess, because um, I'll be curious to see how close you are. Does it mean sit down or something? No, no, know. God, no. no, no. If if you had guessed uh, zombie skeleton, anything like that, you'd be wrong. But the Reaper, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a very intimidating name for such a terrible gimmick. Oh, I don't know how it relates to chairs, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe do you think he pitched a side, and they're like, nah, too violent. Like, oh, whatever, chair. Yeah, I, I just looked into him a little bit. Like, he's the guy behind the mask has had several masks over his career. Oh. So, this is like the fourth or fifth gimmick by that point. And he's actually lost mask matches already. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he's he's from AAA and then he's still wrestling today as LA Park because he doesn't own La Parca as LA the gimmick Park. itself. So, he's <laughs> it's loss. The LA is an acronym for like the original Parka, I think, if what I'm remembering right. Okay, that's well, that's a cool naming scheme. That's still going, still mildly overweight cruiserweight. Uh, <laughs> in in AA in a triple A tradition, right? I don't think mm-hmm. you're allowed to be in shape and past your twenties in in triple A. No, he keeps it pretty fast pace in this match for for a uh, more rotund lad. A corkscrew uh, palancha. Inferno gets like none of the none of the offense in, even though he's. I think he's a face here. He definitely is, and, and this is this is why I wanted to get into the match a little bit so we can dissect the old disco Inferno. Yeah, I, th- I think it just he never really worked because he can he can sell really well. Yeah, but that like it doesn't really work with his character because you kind of want to hate his character because it's. It's it's all about the dancing, but then once once the match starts, like you can't really get behind the disco inferno. It's like Jericho would would say, it's like, can you see this wrestler being announced as the world champion? It's kind of weird that these two guys are kind of in a pay per view match when they're, they're kind of they, they fit great on like Nitro and stuff. And it's, <laughs> yeah, 
this is particularly like backhanded insults here when you imagine that there are such luminaries as Vince Russo, world champion from this company. <laughs> Look, man. <laughs> I could actually imagine that more, I think. I do totally sure. agree, though. I, I totally agree with what you're going for, which is that, yeah, it just, he's not cool enough. Well, it's not that he's not cool enough. There's, he doesn't do enough to for the crowd to get behind him, really, mm. or besides his like intro dance moves because when you look at somebody like the godfather like obviously the godfather is like another like weird character but at least he has a promo that he says that everybody can get behind and he has like the ho train like those two things that's all he that's all he rode for his like whole entire run like and that's all you need for these kind of like mid card like never gonna be champion kind of comedy characters I, i think the big difference there is godfather had been in the industry so long so i think this is actually a really good example and a problem happening in in WCW at the moment, and Disco and Goldberg are the big examples, where they're like, this guy's over, so should we help him develop and maybe hold him back a bit and not just trust him into the spotlight until his character's developed? Nah, he'll figure it out himself as he goes. Fuck him into those events. Like, <laughs> Godfather had been been working for so long that once he was on to something, he knew how to hammer it home, he knew how to extend on it, he knew how to give it a bit of longevity. Yeah. Disco has no idea what to do. He's like, my dancing's over, let's more dance. Yeah. It's like you've you've come across this idea and you know it's really, really good. But most people will go, okay, so how am I going to use this? Whereas Disco has just gone, cool, I'm going to dance. I'm going to be look like John Travolta from the 70s. That's it. And there's no thought it, yeah. afterwards. Like, And you're like, no, you need to keep going with this if you want it to last and you want to make money and so on with it. And it, it just doesn't seem to have clicked for him. To, yeah, to get back to the match, yeah, it, it's, it's, been, it's, it's so hard to watch these guys try and do a pay-per-view match. I don't think they do a bad job, but it's just they're trying to have this grand match. But it's like you guys are the comedy guys. Like why? Why are you going outside longer than two minutes? Yeah, it's it's the most nitro, like most throwaway, not pay per view match I've seen. Well, like, I wasn't even going to say nitro. I was going to say Saturday night. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. what Fair, it feels I, like. Well, I say nitro now because it's three hours <laughs> in well, in the true, two hour format. True. Sure, definitely. Yeah. But let, let, let's let's have let's have a think of the guys not on this pay per view. The guys and Ga- Eddie. technically Gals because Gals <laughs> aren't on any pay per views. Yeah, uh, I was going to say but, Ray, but he's injured at least, so there's, there's a there's an excuse there. The whole flock doesn't get a match. Like again, Raven yeah. doesn't get a match. Whatever. He's in the middle of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Piper. Kidman. I'll give you Kidman. I'll give Kidman. you Kidman. Uh, no unparabomable. Yeah. Well, he <laughs> yeah, he's actually had a lot of good matches lately. So he's uh, he's definitely stepping up the ranks here. Yeah, there's just so many. Even their some of their main eventers like. Just not on the f- uh, effing card. Sorry, I'm cursing on this episode. Just not on the card. It's our podcast, Dave. You can swear as much as you want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if, like, I don't know why this is here. Why are you rewarding? Like, well, Parker, fine. Like, he's getting, he's very over. I get it. But, like, you were just punishing Disco a couple weeks ago or a couple months ago. Sorry, couple at the stage. Yeah. <laughs> why, why is he on this card? But apparently, some of the bookers liked him and Eric liked him. And you can, he gets the right for WCW Raider. Which is, is where's, where's my wrath quotient? Like that's what I want to be seeing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I was about to Big say those monsters have... hitting each other. They <laughs> they do not like wrath or glacier. And anybody in that stable, they are just like they're trying to distance themselves away from them. As, as much as I possible. wonder why. So <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I would I would say it's because their gimmicks are ridiculous, right? But this goes in this match. He's the most ridiculous <laughs> <Yeah>. gimmick. It's just going to parka. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I quickly gravitated towards commentary because um, it was the only thing entertainment in this match. Brain calls a moonsault a salto moon. 
So Tony and Tanae <laughs> rightfully give him shit for that. <laughs> nobody cares about this match, so they, they might as well joke around. So it's it's nice. I, I don't have much more to say. The, the run out goes, a Parker does 99% of the moves. The high spot for Disco, so his time to get his shine on, is stomping a mud hole and then sw- doing a swinging neck breaker, which is fine. But as commentary point out, the swinging neck breaker looks extremely like his finish, the chart buster, which is just a stunner where his opponent starts by bending down first. There's no little kick like Austin does. So while Parker is bending down, you have his neck gripped. And instead of doing your finishing maneuver, you do a swinging neck breaker. It's just not a very well thought out move set and not not even in a like a logical fallacy way when you grab someone's neck like that and your finisher's over like the stunner or the charpuster is the crowd is going to think you're doing the move and they're going to be a bit disappointed when you do a swinging neck breaker you know oh you didn't get all of them michael <laughs> didn't get all of them. <laughs> uh, yeah it's a, his move set is just so underdeveloped that even when he's the face here he doesn't know how to be a face he doesn't have any shine spots right Yep. So yeah, that's that's what I mean. He needs a hoe no. train. He needs something like that. Yeah. 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 What's what's the spot? He stomped the mud hole because I guess the crowd were kind of behind that, and then there was no idea. He has no idea. Man, he would have been so good with like Sherry Martel or someone like that. Oh yeah, mm. it's like a half trained wrestler. He he probably he seems to know how to do a heel match, but that's because he knows how to get under people's skin. This can, match can ends- I point out my favorite oh, spot before yeah, you do it. the end? Of course, sure. of course. There's a ref distraction in this match to bring in a chair. Not to use the chair. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It was unique. I'll give them that. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to wing him with it. It's so funny. Did, yeah. Disco hits the ref by accident in the eyes, which is kind of weird. I thought they would just do, you know, Disco hits him with an elbow and knocks him out. But the ref just has to keep selling that he got poked in the eye. And Leparka is in no hurry to get his chair. Strolls outside, gets his chair, sets it up and the ref is like still selling and kind of looking over his shoulder like bollocks I still have to sell then the ref stops selling because he realizes that Parker isn't doing anything with it the Parker sits Disco on the chair and goes up top to senton onto him which would be sick if they actually took that bump that would be a sick bump to take uh, but uh, Disco gets up and throws the Parker uh, onto the chair and a bit of a weird bump because Parker like lands on his feet and then pretends he lands on his head it, it didn't look too fluid in my then, notes, I have it's the most Kane esque type bump ever. I Meaning, very, very, very safe. It is very safe, it is, and I don't mind that too much. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, actually exactly. I'm, see I'm not. Fun. I'm not like yeah. knocking him. It's just it's something that once you notice little things like that when you analyze wrestling matches, it just it really becomes evident when you watch certain matches. Yeah, or you you uh, break apart our specific wrestler. You can never unsee that they take very safe bumps. It's like the Ric Flair thing when you when you get told that he has to bump on one of his sides because he has a bad back. Mm. And you never yeah. unsee it. You're like, oh my God, he does it all the time. You're absolutely right. You never unsee it. His back body drop in particular. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the, big one, the big one is the when people take the pedigree, do they do they have their knee up or not? Oh, mm. sure, sure. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, yeah. There's lots of, you can't unsee it. And yeah, as much as it's a bit lame, absolutely safe. We don't want him to be Benoit flying headbutting stuff, obviously. Agreed. So, yeah. Disco then, uh, Parker's stunned from this, and Disco hits his definitely not stunner, which is definitely the stunner being used definitely after Stone Cold started using it on TV. Weird. <laughs> He's even ripped off somebody else's move name in the company, like... Because it's like chartbuster, blockbuster, 
Like, it's yeah, not, that's true. Actually, yeah, like you can't. I was, I was gonna say WCW has done a pretty good job with like marketing the names of the finishers. Like Diamond Cutter is a sweet name. Uh, the Crippler Crossface, like that match in particular, is like great set of like finishing moves. And then of course the the Jack Hamber for Goldberg. So cool sounding finishers. But yeah, with this one, mm, not great, Bob. Yeah, great. I, I mean this in, in, not in an offensive way, but Disco steals a lot of things from other wrestlers. It's kind of how he gets heat, kind of his thing. But like <laughs> a lot of a lot of wrestling is stolen, and I don't mind it too much. It's just very obvious in this. The problem I have is Disco could steal from one of the greatest heels of a generation, and that's the Honky Talk Man. He just has a modern, kind of slightly modernized version of the Honky Talk Man gimmick. And why does why isn't he just doing that shtick? I don't get it. It infuriates he's, he's been a me. very he's been a very weird character on the on our podcast. He's only going to get it weirder when he teams up with Alex Wright. But maybe that's yeah. going to be amazing, though. So we'll I'll save my reservations. Well, yeah, we'll see. Alex has saved stuff before for the podcast, so. Podcast favorite, yeah. <laughs> Podcast favorite, Alex, right? <laughs> Podcast mascot. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Gene on the ramp with uh, JJ Dillon. They talk about suspended Nick Patrick, but because uh, JJ Dillon is such a polite man, you can't talk about someone behind his back. He brings out Nick Patrick, joins him on stage. They tell him they uh, that he will be reinstated, that uh, he Patrick is absolutely delighted, jumps up and down. JJ Dillon says they couldn't find anything wrong. He's been suspended since Starcade, and the lawyers couldn't find anything wrong. If we are spending refs over being crooked and wrestlers over being crooked, that sets a pretty bad precedent for the industry, so I'm pretty glad that I, that uh, Nick Patrick got away with it. He thanks Dillon and uh, thanks all his fans, and he cuts a better promo than Disco ever has in his life. And he tells everyone <laughs> he, will, <laughs> he will call the main event down the middle. But Dylan breaks the bad news to him. He won't be reffing the main event. And uh, I actually really like this moment by Nick Patrick. He goes, well, why can't I? You know, uh, I'm the main, I'm the head ref here. It shouldn't even be a, a drawing strike. like, hey, he didn't talk about my back pay. And he goes and chases <laughs> yeah. JJ to the back. What I think about actually, my back pay? Back pay. <laughs> I think it's actually a pretty, like, as as much as the storyline doesn't make sense, it's a pretty good promo by Nick Patrick. Yeah, it's frustrating because it is a decent promo. He's usually pretty competent, but it's just I don't, I don't, I never like the storyline. It was fine at first, but then again, it's just it's taking time away from actual wrestlers because yeah. when Patrick gets his redemption, it's like, all right, who cares? We put a ref over. Yeah, yeah but he, uh, we've also already done this. We've already had his redemption. Same. Exactly. Why is this the only thing that's again? different this time, I, I do, I do like that he kisses Gene. So yeah, showing, <laughs> showing a little different kind of emotion. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, the, the promo goes from like so so terrible to oh, this is kind of funny, but I'm still in my back of my head going, why is this on the pay per view? I don't. This is so unnecessary. Yeah, th- this again seems like something that should have happened at Nitro, and we should be anticipating on the show if you want to do the storyline. Why are we burning pay per view time with this? It doesn't make much sense. I, I think they're burning time because they don't know what they want to do with him. And I think they're making a lot of these calls last minute. And like, uh, okay, he's reinstated. Like, I don't think they really know where the direction's going. I think you can tell because this interview by Nick Patrick, this part of the promo by him, is actually quite heelish, I think. Like him going, I'm going to call it down the middle, definitely has to lead to him turning on people. And I don't want to talk about it too much because we can dissect at the main event, but That's it just makes what no they sense. want you to think. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's it's yeah. getting tiring at this point because they do it all the time now. Just... Yep. When, when you do that, when you do these, again, 
bit of spoilers, this double turn, show he's a bad guy, even having a very clearly uh, good guy after having a very clearly bad guy promo. It makes your wrestlers look like idiots. Why would he cut a bad guy promo? He's a good guy. <laughs> like, people don't talk like that. There's a YouTube uh, content maker that says that for wrestling all the time, and I'm starting to agree. It's like, people don't talk like that. <laughs> you know, that's not how a human being would ever talk to another human being. It's very weird. Match number three, we get the brother of the roadie, Brad Armstrong versus crowd favorite, Goldberg. Uh, Brad Armstrong, first time on the podcast, big wrestling, a big kind of prestigious wrestling uh, family. He's uh, the son of Bullet Bob. Obviously, we said I said roadie, but Road Dog is his brother. Scott Armstrong, the referee, is his brother. So pretty prolific uh, wrestling family. Unfortunately, Brad uh, passed away years ago, but at his funeral, apparently JR said one of the most underrated talents in wrestling history. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Not to be shown here at all because Brad gets squashed. Brad tries to out-wrestle Goldberg, but gets out-wrestled with a nice, like, half Nelson into a trip by Goldberg, adding a couple things to the the resume. He tries to out-strike Goldberg, but gets slaughtered. Brad hits his uh, patented Russian leg sweep with the roll through, but Goldberg no-sells it. By the way, what's happened to the Russian leg sweep, guys? When's the last time you saw a Russian leg sweep? Brett's match? <laughs> Brett, no, that's I, like the only I one mean, I know that uses it. I, I mean, current wrestling. When's the last time you saw current oh, yeah. wrestling? Yeah, I have no idea. It's kind of a lame move, I guess. It's probably a mixture of it being lame and safety. Yeah, throwing your yeah. head back, I guess. Yeah, bumping from you. You just you have, you have don't have control of your body, realistically, when you're doing it. So Yeah, probably just end up smashing your head, going backwards yeah. a bunch. Uh, I do love the way Armstrong doesn't, he does that roll through, you know, the other guy bumps and you just roll back up to your feet. He celebrates straight away and Goldberg just absolutely no sells it. He does a pump handle. I can just, I want to say suplex, but he just throws the man. Yeah. Goldberg just tosses the man across the ring. It was great. It was amazing looking. So good. Spear, jackhammer and good night, Mr. Armstrong. How do you guys feel about squashes on pay-per-views? It needs to be against bigger names, I think. I don't think you can squash. Like, nothing against Armstrong here. I, I do think he's actually quite a good wrestler, and I'm, I'm going to go into that a bit uh, a bit after this. But it needs to be against a big name, because then there's a shock factor. Like, well, Goldberg's going to have a real challenge against, I don't know, like uh, DDP or Chris Benoit, and he beats him in two seconds. Like, oh, that means something. This doesn't mean anything. He's done this a hundred times before already. Because of the can't-miss nature of him, I think it's okay purely because he's going to be world champion by the end of the year. So you you want to start using him for his marketability. But yeah, it would probably would be better with Dave's idea of like him starting to mill through actual guys. But I, I think this is fine. Yeah, I, I think it's fine too. I, I was just, yeah. just kind of, I think the goal of the match was Goldberg had such bad matches with Regal and Mang recently. Let's do something safe. Let's give him Brad Armstrong, who they work well together. They have a pretty competent match. Like Goldberg tries new things. He has the the gorilla press slam into like the power slam that looks fucking awesome yeah. as well. That love that, love that as well. Yeah, yeah. Love that move. So like all all the stuff actually looked good. Like Goldberg looked like a competent wrestler in this match. Have I seen like many matches like this? They're jobber matches on pay per view, and can't really think of many that's not like I don't know Gilbert like being on survivor series, but that was just more of like a, a joke <laughs> yeah. and part yeah, of, yeah. part of a storyline. And this was just now where the goal is just to get Goldberg 
you know, over further. It's just so cool to see how over Goldberg is. And yeah, it woke up the crowd. Yeah. Goldberg <laughs> looks crisp here, I think, as well. I think this is like all his stuff done really well. I think a lot of props have to be given to Armstrong, who sells very well. He doesn't do the like Shawn Michaels overselling stuff. He paces the match right. You can I know this is such a small part of wrestling, but he just jumps at perfect times to make Goldberg look like an animal. Like obviously Goldberg's a very strong human being. But like he's just throwing uh, like Armstrong around because of Armstrong's timing so like seamlessly, it makes him look amazing. So I think Armstrong does a fantastic jobbing job here. Yeah, I, I think good jobbers probably don't get enough credit. I think my favorite thing about this match was Bobby Heenan. He says he's the only man that would even make me consider managing again, and I'm that impressed with this man. Like it's it's something that like. Bobby usually just he's either joking or picking apart guys moves or whatever. And like he's actually going out of his way to say, no, this guy is special. You should pay attention to him. And I I think that's something that like we need to point out here. And I think that's really good commentary of how how they're handling Goldberg in particular. I thought you were going to go for a different line. I really like that line. But I think he's the one that says this as well. He's like even undefeated teams have close games. Mm. None of Goldberg's streak has been close. I thought that was a really nice thing on commentary as well. Just breezing through people now eventually that's going to get a little bit tiresome and you want to see him face a challenge but at the moment kudos to him the crowd is loving it match number uh four of the night and we have uh title versus mask uv versus jericho and i i'm excited to see this one guys uh, like the second i saw this in the card i was very excited to see this one particularly because hoovy's been he's been really coming up the ranks uh the 450s really over he's been showing a lot of promise and having a lot of good matches with Kidman on, on Nitro. So, yeah, I was really fired up for this. And Jericho's just some of the things that he's gotten over in the past month. It's just it's the whole package now. He's come up with the term Jericho Holic and there's Jericho Holic signs. He even tears one up and it's just his appearance is just amazing. Can we talk about this a little, for just a minute? He has like his almost like chin strap beard, but it stops yeah. like at the sideburns. Yeah. And he has a suit jacket vest. It's like picture of himself on the back saying your role model and just there's so many little character touches you'll see throughout the throughout the match itself that really you start to go, oh, the lights come on and he's really, really figuring out exactly what he can and can't get away with. And it's the things he's done like his whole career. And this is yeah. like he figured it out like pretty much right here. He really just leaned completely into it. This is the exact opposite of what I was saying with Inferno. So Jericho hits a note. And instead of just like trashing that note into the ground, he extends and he extends and he extends. Now, obviously, there's a stopping point to where that just becomes his norm for a while. And you'll see him actually carry a lot of this over to WWE. I, I didn't even know Jericho Holic started in WCW, by the way, until uh, until I watched it. Didn't? Oh, man. Yeah, I thought that was a, I thought that was a w, uh, WWE thing. But yeah, like Jericho expands and expands and it's the little details and he keeps adding to the character and he threw tantrums the first time, but now he throws tantrums at the ref and now he throws tantrums when he gets into the ring and now he extends on them and he does them for different reasons and they trigger different spots. He doesn't just dance, you know. Again, I I know I'm bashing disco a lot, but like the (laughs) the, the comparisons are day and night of what one man saw and drove into the ground and another man saw and, you know, flew to the moon with. 
Jer- Jericho is at his prime cartoonish evil heel Jericho. I absolutely love it. He's stalling at the start of the match and refuses to take off the title belt. I think this is a really original. I don't think I've ever seen like someone refuse. I've seen people start matches with the title belt on by accident, but not refuse. He's wrestling for a bit and he's shouting at the ref and giving out to Ju- uh, UV. And then uh, he, he has to take it off because UV hits a spinning heel kick into the stomach and Jericho sells it like he's been shot. And I genuinely laughed out loud when Jericho hands to, he's on his ass, clutching his stomach and he hands the title back to the ref and goes, take it, take it. Please, please take it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Commentary builds this up great too. Uh, Brain calls it uh, Jericho's uh, binky. Yeah. <laughs> and this has been built up like for a couple of weeks. He's done this on Nitro and Thunder, but not to this extent where he actually starts the match. Like usually he's just, he'll have it on and the ref like, like no, 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 you got, you got to take it off. It's like, all right, fine. Great, great escalation in character development here. Yeah, exactly. And a payoff as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. It's not just. Yep. Yeah. He, he saves the great payoff spot for the pay-per-view as well. Like he's doing these things on the nitro, it's a little bit of character, and he goes, How can I take it one further when it's when more people are watching? It's it's just very smart, small things. The match is pretty back and forth and normal between these uh men until an insane spot by uh Juvie. He does uh Rana from the top rope onto the apron and he kind of bumps pretty hard on the apron as he comes down as well to Jericho. Jericho does the full Looney Tunes spot, as I guess I have to call it, and plays <sighs> Possum on the outside. This is amazing. After, after this Rana, when uh, Juvie's in the ring, Jericho keeps putting his head up, looking left and right where the referee is, and then pretending he's knocked out whenever the ref looks to count. Not effective, as you could just stay outside the ring no matter what. The ref doesn't have an effect on that, but very funny spot, I think. Props to the WCW cameraman for actually catching this because, yeah. man, it could be so easy for them not to. Um, and again, yeah, nice, simple spot, really funny. The commentary is able to get on top of it and he gets oh, it, his comeuppance as well. <laughs> it was great. Tony says uh, to, to Brian, you can really identify with this jerk and Brian yeah. says, well, I've, met, I've managed a lot of jerks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as Gus says punishment is forthcoming Juvie just jumps out of the ring on top of uh, Jericho when he sees him doing his cartoonish shenanigans again a little bit action reaction kind of stuff per- perfect importantly even though uh, Jericho is getting his shenanigans over he lets Juvie get you know his stuff over as well he's getting those you know baby face momentum Jericho tries the spot we've seen him do before he does the big run up up the steps which just eats a bunch of guardrail and lets uh, UV recover on the outside. UV goes for a springboard and Jericho catches him in a slick-looking tombstone, this, like, spike tombstone that I don't think I've seen Jericho do in America before. You forget how much bigger Jericho is than the other, like, heavyweights, and he can get some of these awesome-looking spots in while still being super athletic himself. I love, uh, also, another nice bit of heel work uh, halfway through the match. Jericho counting back at the ref when the ref is counting for a release of the hair, counting like with the ref in his face. I thought that was quite funny. I love this. I think this is the first time we see the first uh, cocky pin where he does, come on, baby. (laughs) I think it's the first time he does it and that he does it a ton pretty much. I think going forward, it sounds like I'm glorifying Jericho so much, but that's really smart again. Like we used to complain that he used come on baby sincerely in his initial run. And he knows that the crowd actually hate it, so he's turned it into a heel thing. And I think that's kind of that's clever as well. Uh, I also like he does a rest hold on UV in the middle of the match. He does the backbreaker where he presses down on the head and like knees at the same time. And just halfway through the rest hold, he gets up and starts celebrating like he won the match. 
Yeah. And the ref is just like, he didn't top. He's like, what are you talking about? Of course he topped. Look at the he whole said yes, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that he's loud enough that you catch little bits of this as well. Jericho tries to springboard over uh, Juvie, but Juvie catches him and hits a really snug-looking uh, Mishinoku driver. Toddy dropped him on his head for a little bit. 450 by Juvie, but Jericho is too close to the ropes and gets to break. The bell rings still, though. I like—I kind of like this spot when it's done well, and it's done well here. The bell rings, and Juvie celebrates, but the ref has to tell him, no, it was a two, it's a mistake. Restart the match, and it lets Jericho get a couple cheap shots in when, uh, when his back is turned. I don't really know why they need a fake fake three count in the middle of this match because there's already enough stakes as it is. That's fair. It's for the title versus his, his, his mask. Like I, I guess it, it works a little bit because he's the face, but I, I could have done without it. So what I like about it this time, I would usually very much agree. I like the spot because it doesn't finish the match. So a lot of the time you'll see people like a, a roll up or roll up into a sequence of finishes after this spot. But this was just like a midway transition spot, you know, it's not the worst, but I could see I could see an argument for it being just unnecessary. Right. Yeah. I th- I think I agree with both you guys. I, th- I think where I come down on it though is I'm okay with it just because it protects the 450. Sure. It's a yeah. acceptable spot for the 450 as well because generally Hovi's opponents need to be close to the ropes, so it's a natural progression here. I think that's what I like about this match so much is both guys for a pay per view match you should know what your opponent's finisher, what your opponent's like big moves are, and you should have a plan for it. And that's kind of like what Jericho knows it. Well, I know that I'll be close to the ropes for the 450 usually. I know it's probably overthinking it, but that's what they put over in this match though. Yeah, I think it's I think it's what bothers me is because of the, the amount of stakes there are because of the winner who's about to get the match. And they also get to show that they were resilient enough to kick out of the 450 so it's like they get double paid off almost probably a bit too much um i'd rather hoovy get something else (laughs) (laughs) sure 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 an exchange of high spots by both men a missed line saw by jericho a springboard from the second row by uv a tamer reversal into a roll-up but uh, finally arana is reversed into another line tamer in the middle of the ring and a resilient baby face has to tap UV loses the title versus mask, and uh, because he's the face, he can't worm out of this one. Jericho on the mic after the match, thanking the Jericho-holics, taunts UV and tells him to take off the mask. <laughs> tells him take off the mask, bro, with a very pronounced bro. Uh, he keeps calling him ugly and calling him like quasi, like quasi-moto. Quasi-juice, yeah. Quasi-juice. Quasi-juice. Which it doesn't make much sense. That's not one of my favorite things he's pulled out here. But uh, I guess. And he keeps calling him ugly. And it's frankly baffling. Because UV is a dreamboat. He gets the mask <laughs> snatched off his face by Jericho. And my God, is that man handsome. After the match, UV goes to the top rope. is a resilient, you know, throws his hands up like, I'm still here. You know, it doesn't matter. Crowd are way too busy booing Jericho to even notice what the face is doing which i guess is a bit of a downside to all his shenanigans i mean can't blame him the other he's got an awful lot of character that jericho so he'll go far i <laughs> see <laughs> yeah, i'll keep an eye on him you know i i think there's a little something about jericho and this isn't actually a criticism but the rock has it a bit later on as well he's so hateable and you enjoy hating him so much that one you don't pay as much attention to the face as i've actually as i'm looking over my notes here i have way too many notes about jericho and i haven't noticed enough what a guerrera did in this match 
And two, after the match, if the face loses, you almost kind of hate them because they couldn't beat the heel you hate so much. Is that overreaching a bit? Maybe a little. So I I think where I come down on this is a big problem with the result of this match is they didn't build up enough importance to losing the mask, really. It was just really thrown in at the last minute. You don't have the important promos like they did with Ray and Eddie. So I think that's the kind of another huge problem with this match is that they've they've done this before, but they did it way better in, in the previous match. Part of the problem with unmasking, too, is just in general, it's just boring to watch. Yeah. Especially if you have a normal face, like, cool. You know, like the, the gimmick only works if it's guys like Kane, if like if it's maybe he's scary or burned under the mask or or if he's been around for a while as well. Yeah, like, who that, he's like, he's new. Generally, yeah. that's what I was going to point out. It was like, he's too young. He's literally been around for a year at most. 24 so, years old. How how can somebody care about this guy losing his tradition and legacy, as it were, when he's been in like 10 matches probably on TV for them to have seen? His inexperience is really, really shown up because he's also standing beside a guy who has is probably top 10 all time in terms of charisma. Maybe he's not at the peak of his powers at this point, but... You can tell that he is on a different level already. Yeah, I think there's a huge issue. Already you're fighting against the tide with these mask uh, matches because Americans just don't care as much. It's not a tradition in their country. You're going to have to build it up a big, big time to make them care as much as a Mexican match would. So why are they doing it? As you guys said, for someone that's barely known, he's been Cruiserweight Champion once, right? Yes. They slingshotted it with him pretty briefly. Yeah, like you're going to have to build it up or it's going to have to be like a blood feud. But in general, Americans don't care about the heritage because there's not that many luchadors on any given roster. There's not that much history. They're not making the storyline about the honor of their masks and families week in, week out. So then when you randomly bring up, my dad wore this mask or a similar mask, like, well, you've never mentioned that in your character once before because you've never mentioned anything before because we give you five minutes of tv time a week you know right and these these guys will have another match against each other too so i it's really weird how this has to happen now and i will never understand bischoff's obsession with unmasking luchadors it's like it's it's gonna always baffle me his main motive to do this is is just to be first that i truly think that's what his reasoning is like because i think the obvious bullshit of wrestler mass wrestlers can't get over and show emotion like we know we know that's bullshit so like what else is it and that's all i can come up with yeah it's especially bullshit because it's not like they're sleeping on ray it's not like they're like well no one's done it and, and sorry when, when i say first i mean like first like as a like big company on tv to do this oh oh yeah in, yeah, in yeah. the u.s yeah i i just mean it's the the charisma thing it's not like they don't know someone can be charismatic they literally have a charismatic emotional face under a roster that they're not missing sorely but like they're missing when he's injured like he's a big part of their cruiserweight division so they know it's not true it, it seems bizarre yeah i think it's shock factor i think it's that little demographic that wwe actually end up worrying about way later when they see how much ray mysterio can draw they're like well maybe mexican fans and love this maybe this is what they're into so instead of giving it proper due diligence and proper time they go what's the biggest pop in mexican wrestling what's the biggest piece of drama that's ever in mexican wrestling it's well it's the mask match right that's always their the end of their blood feuds is a mask match but they're just kind of they're trying to skip to the pop yeah, instead it's, of go it's just giving the middle finger 
Yeah. Kofi actually covers up his face with his hair. And in the dirt sheets, it, it's saying he's holding back tears, which, I mean, it makes sense because, I mean, it's, it's he's 24 and it's the mask that his dad wore. So it would affect me emotionally, too. So I I, I don't blame him. Doesn't he say yeah. something like, sorry, dad, or I love you, dad, as yeah. he does it as well? Yeah. It's f- fucking heart-wrenching. For, for, like, this is a good match, but it's just, like, one of the random good cruiserweight openers. There's no really building up UV in a serious way. There's no dramatic last second cheaty finish by Jericho. It's just a dominant victory by Jericho in the end, to be honest. So yeah. I, this kind of just buries the man's mask. And it's a, as much as I love the ma- the match in both men, I, I can't really approve of this match. Yeah, this, this is another reason why I don't like the fake three. Because again, it I think it does more for Jericho than it does for him. Yeah, that's absolutely fair. You, you don't really, like his 450 is almost shrugged off in a kind of, not comedy spot, but like one it's, of those typical It's not necessarily spots. that it's anything particularly negative for Hoovy. It's just more that it comes across as a more positive thing for Jericho. And I don't think you want to do that with the heel so much. Yeah, thinking back at the match, besides some decent athleticism, at what point does Hoovy get anything from this, right? Like he's going to lose his mask, but he hasn't been put over in any regard. He's going to lose his mask, but it's not like he looked even close. He's going to lose his mask, but it's not like he gets to hold the championship in the end. It's... He's kind of just getting buried to, and I would say to get Jericho over. But I know from, <laughs> I know from reading Jericho's stuff and like watching shoot interviews with him, they have no interest in getting Jericho actually over. So I think it's Connor's right. It's just to have them unmasking Luchadors on TV. Onto about as emotional relevant match, match oh, number God. five. It's Mongo <laughs> versus the British Bulldog. Uh, so Bulldog has come down. This a whole feud is about uh, Mongo not liking those Northerners, those uh, guys coming down for the big paychecks from the North. Mongo, you, you used to be in the NFL. You were slingshot right into the Four Horsemen, one of the most prolific wrestling uh, stables of all time. What the hell are you talking about, dude? This is right up your alley what Bulldog's doing. It's really weird to have Bulldog not like associated with Bret Hart, too. Like, yeah. Again, they like to mention the, the screw job. Why not just try to piggyback off the Heart Foundation? Yeah, why why not just literally have Brett come out? Brett is not on this card, by the way. Bit of a spoiler. Why isn't Brett just coming out with Bulldog? Bulldog's stuck in like 1991 at the moment, <laughs> ju- judging by how he's dressed. Yeah, he looks so. he looks really weird. Yeah, we, we watched him on uh, the Canadian Stampede pay-per-view, and he looks like amazing. It looks like he gained a little bit of weight, and he just he doesn't look like... Hundred percent. It's the gear. The gear is really off-putting. I mean, yeah, he needs he needs to have the the, the skinny trunks, not not the pants. I'm definitely being biased here, considering like world history and whatever. But <laughs> it, it just <laughs> looks, yeah, it just doesn't look right. I, I I did never get how the British bulldog was over in America. Like, and he, he just was for a while. He just wore big Union Jacks, and I'm like, I never got it. Why is this man so over in the states? It's because he was like jacked and could do amazing things, Dave. That, that it wasn't is really true. to do with his name, <laughs> it, or his it was gear. probably more or his to gear. do with his with his actual pit bulls uh, that they used to bring to the ring. Oh, they were so adorable! Oh my god! Yeah, see, maybe they were over. <laughs> maybe it was never the bulldog himself. They, I would, I would, I, I pop for dogs. You know, this uh, the weird thing about Mongo, and I think I've said this a couple times. He keeps throwing up the four fingers. It's not a it's not a stable anymore, Mongo. Get a different gimmick for the love of God. Your gimmick just isn't you know Ric Flair. 
That's Arn Anderson's gimmick for the love of God. That's gimmick and bring <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you can tell Mongo's not long for this world in WCW. No, uh, you were saying, Connor, this is like his second last match we get to see. Yeah, we're not going to see much of him. Thank God. I feel I feel kind of bad for him, though, because like we, we've liked some of the things that we've seen from him. But then, like, I, I see, what's the Twitter account, like, things Mongo do or whatever, and oh, it's, yeah. like, really bad clips of Mongo, <laughs> and people love to shit all over it. And I, I, just, I, I feel a little bit bad, but then things like this It's match, a fantastic like, you know, follow, if you've not yeah. seen it, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Mongo, honestly, is just born, like, just start wrestling at the wrong time. Like, if this guy is yeah. wrestling in the 70s, he's so over. We're talking, we're talking about him, like, Hulk Hogan, I think. He's just at the wrong time. I was just about to say, like, I know I, I just said Bulldog was kind of outdated with the way he looks and everything, but, I, like, Steve de- genuinely should have been a wrestler in the 80s, and he would have been probably really, really over, and it would have worked. But, yeah, he's just, I don't know. He he definitely tries, which is a lot more than you can say for other individuals that we've had to witness <laughs> uh, in a yeah. ring. I don't particularly think it's his fault. He's just, yeah, it just doesn't fit. Early steam by Bulldog, uh, some exchanges, and he goes for an incredibly early sharpshooter in this match and just puts it on. Really weird. Yeah, the crowd <laughs> yeah. doesn't give a shit either. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> yeah, he kind of does that thing with the crowd. You know, he looks at them and then looks at Mongo's feet like, I'm going to do it. And like, do what? I'm going to do my best friend's move. <laughs> oh, oh, Wink, okay. wink, yeah. Wink, wink. And then he puts it on and it's just on. I'm like, oh, Okay. Also, I, I've I've lost count, but another man that can do the sharpshooter a lot better than The Rock on the podcast. It might be number seven or eight. And Mongo That's struggles. An one, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mongo struggles a little bit and gets to the ropes, but <laughs> again, shit Mongo does. He's really close to the ropes anyway, and he goes to reach out and struggle. But you can see he realizes he's a little too close to the ropes already, so he just doesn't extend his hand the full way. So it kind of just looks like he doesn't want to get the rope break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Booker kind of does that too in the early match, yeah. Yeah, and I know they just I know it's not their fault and sometimes you land a bit too close, but I, I always notice when that happens, I'm like, that's always so funny. I'm like, hmm, maybe the face it doesn't hurt, and he just wants to rest in that hold for a bit, you know. To be fair to Bulldog, the ring size is different from the WWF to the WCW. So that's true, smarter, yeah. right? I'll blame yeah. that. Bulldog's yeah. great, yeah. <laughs> yeah. WWE has like ridiculously big rings. The same thing happens on the Indies. They're like almost double as big from the Indies to WWE as well. Mongo is very limited in this match, throwing a lot of punches and kicks. Very stally kind of match, even by his standard. He lines up Bulldog on the outside uh, for a punch against the post, and then he just kind of forearms and wrists the post. He doesn't really do... The, the sound that that gives off. That's a very difficult thing to... Oh! 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 Did you hear that? Oh, yes, I did. He smashed his forearm and his wrist. Yeah, he just he just lamps it. The man needs to throw some more working punches or something like that. I don't know. It's I guess maybe he's just trying to make the sound and it didn't, he didn't hurt. I don't know. For the rest of the match, Bulldog works that arm a bit because he's the face, and that's what you do as a face. Uh, he he does a crazy bump in the corner for Mongo. He basically, off an Irish whip, does a senton onto the bottom turnbuckle. It's kind of like yeah. new age indie shit, just randomly in the middle of a Mongo bulldog. No, he, he, he definitely did that as a regular spot going through the years. Cool. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't forget, you see, like, I know Bulldog is like a blimp when you think of him historically like he's this massively jacked man but like he used to be a cruiserweight like at the 
like a very large one, but he's, oh, yeah, he's he, very renowned for being flexible and mobile and so on and at the beginning of his career. Oh, yeah, he, and st- still so when he gets big. Like, he becomes more limited and, and you know, he wants that typical WWE style that gets over, but he's a super athletic guy, even, even when he puts on all this weight. Mongo goes for his uh, three-point stance, but he can't because his hand is hurt. It's his so wrist, man. You can't. <laughs> Apparently, all the power is in your wrist for it's, for a three point stance. <laughs> so I thought they were going to have him like wince and hold his hand and have that as a distraction for Bulldog to hit something, but then he just changes hands and does it. So is Mongo that much of an idiot that he doesn't know to use his other hand when his wrist is broken in the first place? Mongo pawn so, in game of life. Mongo <laughs> <laughs> pawn. <laughs> Just looking at his hand like, oh, well, that hurt. <laughs> He's like the South Park uh, cop when he realizes you can turn hands around. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just such an ill-scripted spot. Bulldog locks on an armbar and the ref calls the match in some kind of weird reference to the screw job, I guess. Because Mongo was screaming too much and the ref was it? didn't like the look really? of it. You you took that, um, but that's not all I can think of. What else is this finish? I, they just fucked up. I don't. I don't. Yeah, know. <laughs> I, 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 just, I literally had no idea. I just took it as Mongo trying to get heat back, like afterwards, kind of going, "I never topped. I never topped." And I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's just such a bizarre fit. And like Bulldogs first, like, but I know this isn't peak Bulldog, but it's still a decent acquisition that you got off the screw job, and like you can still work stuff with him and Brett, like. Fuck it, throw him in a tag team with Brett if you have nothing for Brett to do at the moment. Your tag team division could use a couple new good tag teams. But nah, just have him non-win against Mongo in his first pay-per-view, huh? That's what we're going to go with. The more I think about it, yeah, they should have just brought in three guys as the foundation. I'm, I'm sure they... I, I don't remember what the politics and the con- the contracts were like going into this. So I, I think maybe Bulldog and Nightheart maybe signed later on. So maybe that 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 plan was just a no go from the start, but, yeah. but it would definitely would have been cool. You could even do a holding pattern. Imagine like the Outsiders versus the Heart Foundation, just like just Bulldog yeah. and Brett, or just Nyhart and Brett. But instead, yeah, I guess one of the people involved in this stable of one of the biggest angles of the wrestling history recently is just gonna fight Mongo on your first pay per view and barely beat him. Mongo's the gatekeeper, don't you know? <laughs> he is the gatekeeper. He's their tester. Who did they do with? Yeah. They had an actual good wrestler. They did that. Oh, it's X- X-Pac. If you can't have a good match with X-Pac, when Jericho comes in, like if you can't have a good match with X-Pac, you're just not going to have good matches because they consider him one of their better workers. It's not just Mongo. If you can't get over with Mongo, you're going to have some real trouble when we put you against Hogan. <laughs> if, you, if you can't politic your way out of this, buddy. <laughs> yeah, they're just waiting. Did he object to being put with Mongo at all? No, he's never going to make it. We have Hogan, we have Macho, we have Piper. No way he's ever going to win a match. Just put him in the mid card to keep him away from them. But yeah, for pretty forgettable match. At least it was short. That's pretty much all my notes are. But yeah. responding to your you guess Bulldog is the face. I don't even know if either of these guys are a face. This whole feud is just very attitude era type of stuff that they're just brawling in and out of the, the backstage area. And it's just they inter- they interfere with each other's matches. It's just pretty much all this feud was. It was just really weird. Who's the heel here? 
me and Gus are Neither. always again gonna... it's attitude error stuff. Oh yeah, just... <laughs> but me and Gus are always going to be biased. I see, I see a British flag on the trunks. We're Irish. We gotta <laughs> sure, hate them, okay. you know. We gotta hate them. The mm, okay. It took William yeah. Eagle twenty years of wrestling before one Irish crowd would cheer him. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm only stupid American. I can't, I don't. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sixth match of the night, and thankfully, on paper at least, a much better one. We get a wild hair Benoit. Come on, get some water in that hair, man. It's frizzy as frizzy as f. Against DDP with the inter- eternally taped ribs. Uh, he, he's moving up though it's a, it's a fashionable black now at least yeah it matches his gear for once since he knows it's going to be on him forever uh, this is kind of a weird build up to this match because DDP literally just says I want to give Benoit a shot because I don't think other people give him the shot but as wrestling fans you know like he's basically just saying yo I'm getting you over bro <laughs> that's, a, that's a very DDP sentence right there uh, yeah it's, it's weird I think it would mean more if they were like allies on screen for longer but they're kind of only thrown together and kind of stuff so i don't well they, they've much. been they've uh they've tagged against the flock so there there is a little bit there whoop to do <laughs> yeah whoop to do but like it's there's, there's something <laughs> and there's some story for sure yeah i just and yeah. If, you, if you're gonna do the face versus face dynamic these are probably two guys that you probably should do it because both the crowd, they love both of these guys. Oh, yeah. That my my whoop de do was the flock more so than the two of them tagging. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, usually this spot is kept for, like, you know, those tag teams where one guy from a tag team gets a title shot randomly. He's like, if I win, the first person that's getting a shot is my partner or whatever. It's And then it usually leads to a heel turn. But, yeah, th- this is weird. I, I do agree with you. If both men are good faces and the crowd should be 50-50, Though there's always a danger of DDP being so over, it buries Benoit a little bit. So this booking is, I think, risky. I mean, the two of them are kind of meandering at this moment in time, so it's better than nothing, that's for sure. Going into the match, uh, we see the storyline spilling over into the start of the match with a handshake from both men, kind of a hand slap more as a show of respect. I like the open. I like the psychology with it. We get this smooth chain wrestling from both and a very early Kerper attempt and uh, DDP has to just bail to the outside. A pain exchange is broken up, uh, a back body drop by Page, and then he go, uh, tries for an early uh, cutter and Benoit has to roll out and regroup and Benoit looks actually like taken aback by the cutter and he has to go back outside twice. He like breaks up the count. Both men, when they're back in the ring, just start slapping the shit out of each other and these look like pretty stiff exchanges as well like a few potatoes thrown in you think in the middle or just some good working punches i think benoit's always like that <laughs> ben, benoit yeah. eternally potatoing people i think they're just both kind of snug anyway <laughs> to be honest yeah i think i think uh i think ddp it looks like he kind of somewhat adapts to people's style so if Benoit is going to hit him, he just he just goes, okay, he just hits him right back, right? Benoit keeps going back to the same kind of rest hold, this arm choke hold. And this is a long spot in the match that I actually didn't mind, even though, you know, rest holds are usually quite boring. Even after getting thrown out of the ring in this kind of unique backspin move DDP does, he just runs straight back in and throws the hold back on. DDP cuts Benoit off on the top and hits a superplex after managing finally to get out of this uh, eternal chokehold. And both men are up for the count of nine and start slugging each other straight away. Top rope goes on by DDP and the triple Germans into a bridge for a 
2.9 by Benoit. I'm absolutely loving this match at this stage. I think already about halfway through, best match I've seen by both men uh, so far. Is there any, like, there's so many spots. I've, I've quickly glossed over a lot of the match. Is there anything that really stood out to you guys? I think I really like the Benoit when he escapes to the outside. He kind of, he breaks the 10 count and he goes back to the outside to kind of get more rest. I like how the commentary pointed this out that like this kind of pissed DDP off. And so like this kind of brought like a little nastier edge to the match. I just like this too, because like, why don't more guys do this? It, it seems like the logical thing to do and kind of seems like a kind of veteran move by Benoit, but uh, just some way to kind of get like subtle heat onto Benoit because obviously the DDP is the, the crowd favorite. So I thought it was a nice little touch that Benoit did. Yeah, old, old school. I think that's like really old school heat. Clever mm-hmm. like technical wrestling heat. I really like the finish as well. DDP reverses a hip toss into a DDT, which I think looked pretty smooth, something I hadn't seen in a while either. He calls for a diamond cutter, which you shouldn't. It's a sneaky move, DDP. You shouldn't call for a diamond cutter. Belmar reverses it, going for a standing backside, but DDP just flips him over, and as Belmar lands, hits a cutter. Four to one, two, three. Pretty clean finish by DDP, but I think correct result and just great match by both men. Yeah, I love the match. Uh, DDP celebrating with the fans. That never gets old, too, I think. It's just such a cool moment to have. Really putting over this uh, People's Champion character that DDP is developing. And DDP as the US Champion, it's it's really working. Because he needs something. If, if he's not going to go for the main event title, like he needs something. And I, th- I think this is like the perfect situation. Even though Benoit is probably not the perfect opponent. But this is a nice uh, stopgap along the way. Yep. Pretty much what I was going to say. It's the right winner. It sucks for Benoit because he seems to be this kind of almost there every single time I think as long as we've been following this on the podcast but you you have to keep DDP in a sort of holding pattern to be ready for whatever point that they think that they're going to go go with him knowing them they're probably going to wait too long just judging by how the main event scenario is kind of working out as it is but he's he's too over right now and I think giving it to Benoit would be the wrong call it just wouldn't help either of them it probably made the most logical sense in terms of matches throughout the card. There didn't seem to be anything really out of place or botched or anything like that. It just really, really solid, really, really good, entertaining match. If it it just is doesn't have a massive story behind it that is missing for the last ingredient, as it were. Yeah, and a lot of times it doesn't need it, particularly for Benoit matches. Like I know a lot of the times we clamor for it, but if there's one guy that doesn't need it at all, it's probably Benoit. Anything else? Do you mind if I move on? No, let's get on to the real guys on the roster who oh, can't yeah. wrestle. On to uh. the main, main eventers. <laughs> we get a crappy vignette going over the giant uh, Nash kind of stuff. Uh, it seems like something we didn't need here because he's been on Thunder. Waste of time. I'm pretty sure they, they replayed the same thing and then just... <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why they needed to waste time here. They've already recapped this at the start of the show. We don't really need to do it again and like nash isn't even interacting with giant on this pay-per-view nash is in an actual match why aren't we having a vignette for that but anyway on to match number seven obviously the talent of the night goes here it's uh lex luger who's taken uh no notices that ddp is on a winning streak because of the tape on the ribs so his triple <laughs> taped up 
He has more tape than man <laughs> for this match against the macho man, Randy Savage. <laughs> I was going to ask, do you think that they get a discount? Like if they buy together or in bulk or something? <laughs> yeah. Uh... yeah, either that or macho is like any match he's in, like the, yeah. his opponent is contractually <laughs> obligated to be taped up. <laughs> it turns out that Randy is the wholesaler for tape. And so he just, you know, brother, I've got a really good idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, the NWO, they beat him up on Twitter the, the week before. So, yeah, he's, yeah. Still, he's, a little, he's a little bruised up. Lex is kind of like, again, secondary to this whole Hogan versus Macho underlying storyline. So a little like Sting will be later. Even though he wins, he's just like, yeah, he's just secondary. I, I've never seen someone go over a match and it not matter at all. It's very rare that that happens, but it's what happens here. There's not, there's not much to talk about in the match. I don't think either man tries that much. At first, Lex sells his ribs, and he's not able to get any offense on Randy, so Randy does his brawling around the ring shtick, and then Lex just goes, you know what, I'm sick of selling my ribs. Let's <laughs> stop that for no reason in particular. Torture rack time, baby. Because it's a no-DQ match, Elizabeth just pokes him in the eyes, which seems fair enough, and the NWO hit the ring. I'm not going to go over this match anymore because they didn't want to put any effort into it. So I certainly am not either. I particularly enjoy that they hit the ring. So the bell starts ringing and I'm going, oh, it's no contest. And then the match continues and he gets racked. And then the, the match ends. And I'm like, wait, what happened? Ah, it probably doesn't <laughs> yeah, they, matter. They don't, sh- they don't show it. It's like in the background, like the ref's holding Luger's hand. I'm like, wait, I guess the match ended. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Other highlights of this incredibly uh, important stipulation. There's no DQ, but there's still a rope break because the guys are nice to each other. And the no DQ, I think, uh, means to meander around the ring, I think, for WCW crowds these days because they spend more time just walking around the railings and clotheslining each other into it than doing anything else. My, my favorite part of the match, the commentators, they ponder the, the rules of wrestling law. Because they're they're wondering why, like, will Macho get fined even though it's a no DQ match? I'm sure he, like he he hit the ref or something like that or something like that. Oh yeah, he threatens the ref. Yeah, my my favorite comment from from Tanay during this is the one dimensional attack of Randy Savage. Nice, <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> yeah, Randy does not try to make this a match, and that's because this match is nothing about the match. It's about what happens in the finish before. Randy gets racked for the second time. He helps fight off the NWO goons. Why? They're not attacking him. They're attacking his opponent, who he didn't mind beating by these means because he just let Elizabeth poke the guy in the eye. It's no disqualification, which Randy has made it a no disqualification match, so must know the NWO are going to get involved. Well, the bigger reason is he took very big exception for the NWO coming out in the, the sold-out match. During, yeah, so the previous th- one. There's yeah. a, there is an important story arc right there that that's that's why he's pissed and he's just fed up with them. He told Hogan, I do not want your help. Okay, okay. It makes a bit more sense. Then Hogan comes out and he pulls the whole crew back. He goes, let him lose. Let him lose the match. I don't care about him. So furthers the storyline of Randy can't beat Lex, but is still our main focus of the show. Yeah, it's, just, it's pointless. There's, there's really nothing to, to He's not about. in the NWO, I there's, guess. There's an exceedingly yeah, yeah. orange goblin-hammed man that you're forgetting about. <laughs> uh, he yeah. is the point, the focal point of the show, and he will remind you of that fact repeatedly. So... Match number eight, a bit more of a reasonable storyline, in my opinion, but it's barely. 
and we get the outsiders with that dastardly Rhodes boy and an excellent red and black suit by the way Dusty looks fantastic as an outsider against the current double world united champions the Steiners with a Scott looking like he doesn't care honestly I thought it was a it was one of their belts from one of the numerous countries they probably had belts in at the time on could if you told me it was just Japanese belts I would have believed you 100 percent like the like the Dudleys used to come out to in TNA. They used to have like a hundred belts with them at all times from all the different countries. So the story is uh, a bit. We've we've seen this develop in the last pay per view with Scott kind of flexing off with Buff at the end of the match. There's just huge question marks over Scott. He's uh, either not getting tagged in at all, or when he's tagged in, refusing to tag out, and that affects the way they win the championships, planting even more doubt. Scott wants to finish the match and refuses to tag Rick, saying he's got it. He gets knocked into Rick, and that's counted as a tag. So Rick wins the titles, and it's still up in the air. Like Scott hates this; he's a champion, but he wanted to win the belts. And as I said, I don't find it as subtle because of Scott's acting. But there's a nice—I I like the kind of story thread they're going with here. How about you guys? Yeah, it's it's really it's been really well built up. Uh, the, the key moment too is Scott ends up hugging Rick after winning the titles. So. It's kind of like the only doubt that's like, okay, he they are okay together. But I think WCW deserves a lot of credit with how they built built this up. I mean, it's nothing new with the, how you break up tag teams. Yeah. But they've they've taken their time with this and it's just been real subtle. Every week has been different as well. Even though they face the NWOB team like every week, this is something that we haven't really seen from the Steiners in particular. We haven't seen like interesting story threads that have been like new and refreshing. Yeah, they're too busy getting screwed over usually uh, for it to be anything else. <laughs> mm. That's probably my only issue with it is how long it's taken to get here. I'm okay with them. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I'll defend them a little bit. And the Steiners are so ridiculously over, especially when we started the cast. They're probably like, ah, who cares? Just throw them on. You know, it, it's just so, so little. It's just so low down on their list of stuff to worry about because they're always, it's so easy to cart out the Steiners and get a pop. It's a bit like Legion of Doom. The Legion of Doom never had to do anything else in their career because their their initial idea was so over. But I, I am very happy that they've started doing this. I think Rick is nice and sympathetic for this storyline as well. And I think they're still over enough for people to care. So I agree with Gus. It's too late for me because I've not been enjoying their matches because they're stale. But they're probably still over enough for people to care about what happens in the storyline. Yeah, I think the Steiners winning back the tag team titles, like it was kind of a makeup for how they won it previously as well. This time was in the main event of Nitro instead of just like wedged in the middle. So it was yeah. a much bigger moment. It wasn't six wrestling either. It was the actual outsiders. So it, was, it felt like a much bigger deal. And the outsiders feel vindicated in asking for a rematch as well because they they felt like they've been targeted by WCW since Dylan banned the Jackknife Power Bomb. So they've kind of felt like they've been unfairly treated. So There's only like a 10% chance Kev decides to do any moves on the night. So it doesn't seem that bad that they've banned the Jackknife. <laughs> yeah, but like the Jackknife is the, is the 10%. Like that's the one he's likely <laughs> yeah. to do. So you're cutting yeah. out a man's an entire offense. Like what? <laughs> <laughs> you might as well have tied him up in the corner. Man's got to eat here. Like They do that, they do that uh, abdominal, uh, abdominal stretch where they hold hands. They have that. That's their it's a fierce move in their arsenal. Yeah, it's definitely an abominable stretch, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
the the match itself isn't that interesting. Much like the Luger match, the outsiders know if there's a good storyline, they do not have to do much work. Before the match, we get uh, Scott's biggest contribution to the entire night, and he surveys the crowd. This is getting um, more and more over, I think, every time. And overwhelming for NWO being favored. It's, it started, WCW was overwhelming favorites, and it's just kind of naturally gone. Yeah, they're NWO. not. It's, they're just good guys, like, to the crowd anyway. Good guys. Yeah. This match probably has one of the few missteps of the commentary team, because Mike and uh, Tony go go out of their way to be like, oh, don't listen to that crowd. They're, yeah. And they just kind of come off as, like, really sore losers. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they like, do. No. They're, they're definitely cool now. This is not going the way you think. The crowd likes them. The crowd likes Macho Man. In in the previous match, they, they pop big for Macho as well. And they're not meant to be good guys at all. I'll say as well here, I, I like, I've actually liked the idea of Dusty's turn the more I think of it. But he, he adds nothing to the outsiders. He's a very cool addition to them. But the outsiders are charismatic. They don't really need Dusty Rhodes. If anything, Dusty Rhodes probably needs... The outsiders to look cooler, which he does. He, like standing near them looks cooler. <laughs> I think this is just purely because Ted is the Steiner's manager. Yeah. So just it's just an even like three and three. So it, yeah, yeah, that it's, it's makes nice sense. and balanced. As I said, nothing much happens in this match. We're not going to go over any spots because there really isn't any. Rick starts the match. He has control over it. He does his dog chasing off his opponent's spot. Scott kind of half-heartedly gets into the ring to do the pose with him and then turns on his brother. Oh, turns on his brother. He does the axe handle and into a tiger bomb and just leaves him for the outsiders, just cruelly leaves the ring. You forgot the most important part, which turns on his brother like a dastardly man to booming cheers from the crowd. (laughs) (laughs) Also hits Ted DiBiase, which I'm not even sure the crowd knew Ted was there. (laughs) <laughs> no one really reacted to that. No one cared. Poor Ted. I remember when he debuted for the NWO and I thought it was such yeah, a good was great. fit. And it yeah. was so great. And he means less than nothing at this stage already. The camera doesn't really show it, but Dusty also takes care of him at ringside. He like, throws him into the barricades as well for Dusty's paycheck for the evening. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, there's a little bit of a comeback kind of story for Rick, which I like. I like that Rick has a like, slight second that he might win the match. But uh, a distraction by Scott lets a uh, double team happen to Rick and an outsider's edge gives the titles back to the outsiders. I like the visual as well of Ste- uh, Scott Steiner handing them the titles. A bit on the nose, but I think it's a nice visual. Total angle. There's, there's no match to this. Um, very confused as to why the match continued after he turned on his brother. Fair enough if you want him to count, like, kick out a two for just like that last gasp or whatever, but it kind of goes on for a minute or two and it's a bit weird. And Scott goes back to being his partner in the corner. <laughs> yeah. I think that this, this is another really misstep with the commentary that they like, they question, Oh, Rick, he still doesn't know what happened. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? It's so, it's so strange. And then the cameraman, they miss a really, really good, potential shot when Scott gets Rick up for the outsider's edge. Scott Steiner moves over to the middle of so that he can look directly at his brother before he gets outsider's edged. But they they shoot it from the back so you can't see either person's face <laughs> and you miss like 
if there's any sort of emotional reaction between the two of them, you don't see anything. You just see Scott Hall standing there like a goon waiting to <laughs> waiting to throw him down. A bit frustrating to say the least. And then my big, big thing that really annoys me, and this is probably the biggest problem with the commentary with this match is Tanay tells this is one of the most horrible moments in sports history. You mean like the thing that happened every single month for the past year and a half? <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I'm sorry, but at some point this loses any sort of like necessity or feeling or emotion behind it when it happens every single time. And you you parroting out this phrase doesn't help it. <laughs> that reminds me. Did Shivani ever say if he let his kids hang out with Dusty's kids anymore? Because that was the last <laughs> turn we heard about that was over to my Yeah, lines. we didn't get any follow-up on that. Damn it. Gus, you're completely right. I, I had this note at the start of the start of the whole card, which um, which I didn't say at the time, but yeah, it, they just overdramatize so much. But there's no real, there's nothing really at stake. Like you've made a lot of your titles feel like crap, so we don't actually care that the outsiders have the tag titles because we never cared if they had the tag titles. And if someone turns every week and there's no control, so they keep going, you know, if you win the title or if you steal this, you're in control of WCW. But no one's ever exerted that control in a meaningful way so there's nothing at stake there then these turns don't mean anything in the end i think they can i think it's it goes back to what gus was kind of hinting at earlier that we can have this good exchange between brothers breaking up here if it's shot well and the emotion is shown yeah. like properly here but they they don't get those details like this isn't like the brett versus owen kind of emotions that you feel here yeah, it really falls flat in, in the sense like I still think this is the correct decision. I think they they built this up correctly. But yeah, just the execution of this moment just didn't quite hit the mark. And that's a that's a real shame because, yeah, Scott is obviously he's vindicated. He's, he's he is the better wrestler. He is the better body guy. You can see why the NWO like, hey, we should get this guy. Do you think it's possible we're a bit too far removed to feel the emotion of the moment? Because these are no. like the all-American tag team, right? <laughs> these these guys are like, like it would be if they're old warriors turned on each other, you know, kind of thing. That they've just been tagged what for fifteen years at this stage. I don't think it's quite that long, but no, I think it boils down to a very simple reason, which is just that Scott hasn't developed a personality enough at this point in his career, and so he's not able to do it. He's just not up to it yet. I don't think Fair. it's a, it's a, a coincidence that it takes him another year and a bit before he actually finally hits the character that he becomes a world champion as. I, I think that's a relevant point too, that the Steiners in general, they're not, they're, their characters aren't really human. You can't relate no. to them as much. They're very so one dimensional. Right. And that's why it doesn't, it falls flat compared to something like Brett and Owen, who you can, you could really relate to. I, I don't know who is the younger brother in, in, in this relationship. I don't know. So you can tell in the, in the heart situation. Yeah. Owen's the, definitely the younger brother. We, we know that. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely fair. Uh, I, I will say um, I do love where Scott goes from here. Like, uh, he's a meme now, and he's completely silly now when we look back at his stuff, but I, I like what Scott turns into. I think I think uh, Gus is right. I, I don't think he's ever had to develop his character because he was just the, strong, the stronger guy in the Steiner Brothers for years, or he was mega athletic, so, like, that was what was getting him over, and he finally has to go beyond that. I, I do enjoy this, though, just because, you know, compared to Brian Adams and 
Ed Leslie. It's like th- this one is a legitimate, <laughs> yeah, pickup for the NWO as as like Savage is leaving. So it, the whole thing doesn't make complete sense in kayfabe wise because like why would Scott, who's been them and the Outsiders have been feuding all year, so it's why why would he turn to this faction? But 1998 WCW, like all all logic in in that sense of like why characters turn is kind of just out the window. So I'm not going to worry about that anymore, really. But mm-hmm. I don't mind his initial turn. So his initial turn is, I want to be the solo guy. Like, it's just the same as the Shawn Michaels turn, right? It's, I'm sick of sharing the spotlight. I do all the work. I'm the, I'm the champion. We're not champions. I'm the champion. But then he jumps into a conglomerate of heels. So he's like, I want to be the solo guy in this faceless gaggle of heels over here. You know what I mean? That the, the, at the end, the result doesn't make sense. But I think the initial turn is probably fine completely agree yeah mm-hmm. so speaking of perfect sense and booking absolutely flawless booking of your future talent match number nine is the a hotly anticipated rematch of sting versus a hollywood hulk hogan the rematch that none of us knew we wanted to see i'm dreading this like i'm dreading this maybe more than the piper hogan matches i, I don't know about you guys i don't think it's that much dread it just this match they did not build it at all. I don't understand what they were thinking. If if I try and think about it, I can't give you guys another reason why you should be excited about this match. Other than, hey, it's the rematch. Because remember how excited you were the first time? Well, that's <laughs> because of the storyline going into it. Now there is no storyline. So it's like, what? why are we excited? But Connor, they, made, they had that promo on the pay-per-view last month. Isn't that all we need? <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but you've had like what 18 10 shows, shows or, or something 10, yeah 10 shows of programming not mentioned and it's like oh well this isn't important i guess uh i'm pretty sure i watched the storyline hulk hogan accidentally hits on elizabeth macho gets very mad oh that was years before this i'm sorry they're just rehashing that though like it, it is insane that sting is so over and it's so clearly that's like the anti-hero is what they want how, how you stop a stupidly popular heel faction is an anti-hero and he's the perfect foil to NWO. Let's put him completely on the back burner because Hogan and Macho need to get their fucking shine on because they need to justify their fat contracts. And I might sound mad, but that's only because I'm very mad that I had to watch this happen. This is really stupid, I think, from start to finish. One thing I do like about right off the bat in this match, though, as we get into it, I think this is the first time Hogan uses the weightlifting belt as a weapon. And I think that's an essential like character development for him because he needs something to cheat with. And that's like the perfect weapon that he uses like pretty much for the rest of his career. I, I like it because I, I do agree it's good development. It never makes sense because why isn't he disqualified <laughs> instantly? Well, Because it's a part of his attire, yeah. But yeah. they also do explain that because there's several incidents throughout the match, but they're like, listen, we want to have a winner. We want to have somebody as the heavyweight champion. So... They have implored upon Charles Robinson to be a little bit more lenient with regards to certain things. So there, there is a bit there. My, my issue with the weight belt use is the stupidity of the babyface Sting running to the ring <laughs> and getting immediately whipped like a scalded dog, as a, a certain other commentator used to say, uh, which is exactly what should happen. Like It's the most rational thing, except he's the babyface. Why is the babyface so stupid? Well, um, Sting, Sting has a history of being the stupidest man in wrestling, in fairness. Or most naive, maybe stupidest isn't correct. He's always believing that he won't get turned on. 
always believing Ric Flair is on the up and up this time, you know? No way it can be Rick again under that mask. Completely agreed. At least he gets, uh, at least he's punished for being stupid maybe as well, which isn't done enough. Of course, because the weightlifting belt was used though, after some more choking by Hogan and the dreaded back scratch, uh, <laughs> Sting has to use a back, right? Never in the history of a, of a match has a, a bad guy got to use a weapon at the start and it not be used back on him. And Sting gets to beat the crap right back out of Hogan. I've always imagined with that belt, like I've wore weightlifting belts before. That must hurt. Those things are solid. Yeah. Like it's not, <laughs> he's chosen maybe the worst type of belt pain wise to hit people with. I'd imagine. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe it's a gimmick weightlifting belt. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe it's like wide enough that the, like the slap just sounds better without hurting as much. It's also the fact that like, realistically, if you're, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to take it. Yeah. If you're going to dish out the punishment, you're going to get it in return later on in the match. Like, I don't think, I don't think your your partner in, in a match is going to willingly go. Yeah, sure, just whip the shit out of me, and I won't ask to do it back. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in the end, it's simple, but I think it's effective. Though it's something to diversify his repertoire of kick and punch. Yeah, it totally works for his character. One hundred percent. Yeah. It's unfortunately probably the highlight of the majority of the start of the match. (laughs) Yeah. Like beyond this, we get some really anemic brawling around the ring and then it's time for some stinger splashes. It's like very identical to the first match. And like maybe, maybe the rumors are right. Maybe Sting is just really limited at this stage. I don't know. I don't know if it's because it's typical Hogan. I I would say that, but this is the match Hogan's had with both Piper and Giant. It's nearly beat for beat the matches he's had before. So. With stinger splashes and uh, a scorpion deadlock broken up by a rope break. Another splash, but Hogan pulls the ref in the way, and it's uh, it's time for some shenanigans. Leg drop by Hogan after a bunch of taunting. A bunch of taunting. He gives Nick Patrick plenty of time to spring down to the ring, but he only gets a two count. Hogan's absolutely furious at Patrick here. So no longer any doubt if Patrick is on Hogan's side, I guess. They kind of just blew that part of the storyline straight away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm not missing anything here, right? All this build no. up, and it's like one, two count. I guess he's a good guy. It's kind of a build up. It was never like that much in question. That like Hogan was trying to yeah. offer him money and stuff, but it wasn't like Patrick was definitely back with the NWO. It was just kind of like eh, maybe. Yeah, that's fair. And he, he cements it when uh, Hogan does some closed fist punches into the face later. And Patrick pulls off Hogan by the hair. <laughs> They're saying that he's impartial, but surely impartial would be giving Hogan the count and then calling the match, not accosting another wrestler. <laughs> but that that's fine. That's fine. We won't read too much into it. Uh, after this spot, they go for the um, knuckle lock pin kind of predicament that Eddie Guerrero does a lot. And it is a complete fucking embarrassment for both men. And I have no idea why they tried this spot. <laughs> Neither of them are capable of it at all. They tried to end it with Hulk, Hogan standing up. And Hogan has to pull Sting to his feet, which is pretty hard to do from that position. He is not strong enough, nor does Sting have the core strength to get up from that position. So Hogan has to awkwardly arch over him and drag him to his feet. Oh my god, why did they... Out of all the spots they could have done, why did they think this was fine? The only logic I can think of really is to show Patrick is kind of on top of his game because he's kind of like yeah. right there, kind of looking the shoulders now, shoulders up. Because like it's very subtle kickouts from 
from Sting, Sting uh, to have his shoulders up just slightly. That's all I can come up with, man. That's it's very small. I'm sure it didn't. Yeah, I guess you could be like, oh, if he was if he wasn't being impartial, he would have just pretended he didn't see the shoulder kind of thing. Yeah, that makes some sense. But why did they have to end the spot with trying to have like Sting fully sit up? And stand know, from the right. There's, there's no way he can do that. He could barely do that when he was fit. Sting just stops selling. That's kind of just what happens at a point in the match. I know that's kind of his thing. It's still just jarring when he's done like nothing else in the match. That he's like, and Luger did it in the previous match. He's like, well, this is where I stop selling and doing my moves now, I guess. He stops selling and he, uh, he hulks out for more stinger splashes and a death drop. Hogan low blows Patrick though on the way down. That was actually done kind of seamlessly. I liked it, and of course this no, it's, means it's, it's not a low blow. Oh, is it to the stomach? No, he yeah he he clutches his stomach so because oh, okay, okay. <laughs> he barely hits the, his hip or something. On when the way I was down. young, I always assumed stomach meant he was kicked so hard it hurt all the way up to your stomach. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So the ref goes down, and this means the NWC team has to rush to the ring. Sting, of course, gives him the, the back chops that he does off to the apron because these fully grown wrestlers cannot take one punch without bailing off the apron. Watch how slides into the ring and you can barely see it. Gus was pointing this out to me before the uh, pay-per-view and agree, if I, hadn't, if I hadn't seen this match be reviewed before by someone, I would have not seen this happen. Macho hits Hogan with the can while he's still like dazed and that lets Sting turn around and pick up the win. Like Patrick recovers... He just pins him. But me, me and Gus sell spray cans as part of our living. Like, we're, <laughs> we're in a game shop. I don't think I could hit you enough, hard enough with a spray can to keep you down. They're very light. I reckon you could concuss somebody with it. You hit the corner. We use the corner of a spray can. <laughs> but this is the, the immortal corner. Hulk Hogan, Hogan. Yeah, we're talking about. This guy's no sells bullet wounds, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe got... he sprayed him in his face and he just like passed out from the fumes or <laughs> yeah, something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't... It's a very bizarre finish. Yeah, because you, you think Sting would just do the death lock, but nope. Yeah, or Randy would do his elbow drop or use a chair or. A punch was probably more effective than hitting him with the spray can. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but I smell some backstaging somehow. <laughs> yeah. So Sting gets the win without doing many moves and, and without doing his finish, even though we talked about how over so many people's finishes are at this stage. Uh, Sting sprays Hogan with WCW and Dylan gives the title to Sting, even though it's a screwy finish. A screwy finish which vacated the title in the first place. <laughs> yeah. What a fucking awful ending. Why would Dylan present him with the title? Gotta love Sting's reaction too. Takes the belt, drops the belt. Goes <laughs> off and jaws at the crowd to and howl. And then he's like, oh yeah, I have a world title now. I guess I better pick that up. Uh. <laughs> I just, I can't, I've been thinking about this all night, guys. <laughs> like he vacated the title because of a screwy finish saw like must have saw what happened because he has to see the match to know when it finishes to come out in kayfabe sees it and goes yep that's exactly what i wanted out of this match <laughs> and this situation comes out and presents the title with no fanfare to sting the only thing that makes sense to me is he just was watching it backstage shenanigans happened and he just threw his hands up and went fuck it we're never gonna get a fair champion <laughs> <laughs> let's just give it to sting 
Yeah, it, it's it's why yeah it's why the storyline should just never have gone this way at all. Either you just have Sting win, keep the belt for this match. It's still fine. I, I don't know why we had to vacate the title again. It's just probably just to fill TV time. But you know, if you're gonna do the focus on Macho and Hogan, it still works great if he costs him a title match. Yeah, this I don't have much more to say about this main event. It was not entertaining. It did not get Sting over. I guess it keeps Hogan strong. I don't think so. I could see how someone could think that. It sets up a feud no one really needs to see between two old men that are past their prime by a long time. This is not bode well for you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how did this company last this long? Because <laughs> they have fuck tons of money at the, at the moment. This is like their peak of earnings, as it is. What's, yeah, what's really weird, too, is that this kind of follows the formula of Nitro's. Like, as you see how, as Gus likes to say, meandering, how meandering the matches, and you just know it's like, all right, when's the bullshit coming? Because this isn't, <laughs> we're not going to have just a straight up match here with a straight up finish. We know that. We know Hogan. We know how WCW operates at this point. So you're, you're just waiting for it. So I understand it makes sense. You want Patrick involved. But yeah, it, it just... The first 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, like, I'm just like, I'm done. The f- first time I watched the match, I didn't even take notes because I, I just know I'm like, this isn't important. I don't <laughs> this care. doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So I only took notes like I, I actually rewatched the match. Somehow I got through it. But um, it's not as bad as something like Hogan and Piper. But Dave is dead on. It's like it's the same type of Hogan match. So I'm wondering how Sting is going to fare as champion going forward and how his matches are going to be. So I, I'm I very, very this. pessimistic. <laughs> I just don't understand how anybody can think that having the person who's going to be the world champion of your company should be an extended squash match, essentially, yeah, on a pay-per-view is a good idea. It doesn't make any sense to me unless there are further machinations going on that we're not privy to. Yeah, um, you would have to, you have to have think Sting is just still out of his wits here. Yes, yeah, I go back to some of his matches in 96. Man, he is athletic. He is great. And he's just not, he doesn't either, he doesn't want to show it because of his new character change. Like we, we, we went over this in Starcade that just maybe he just doesn't understand his character yet. It's not yeah. like he's had a ton of matches. I yet, mean, so. I'll give him some credit. He's lost some weight since the last time we saw him. Like he, he's definitely lost weight off of the Starcade match. So he's, he looks better there. But his gear is just really, this is really, really bland black singlet. Like there's, there's no highlights too. There's no, like not like we see in the future where he adds like a, a, a like a white contrasting scorpion or something like that or lightning or wh- whatever it might be it's just the plain material nothing to it and you're just like well, he doesn't look that different or like it doesn't stand out that much like yes he has the face and the mat and the face paint obviously the the howl is kind of helping a little bit though he doesn't get to do that until the end of the match so yeah, it's a bit very odd, but you can see the crowd still cares about him. Like when he does do his Hulk up moment, the crowd does pop for it, and they're like, "Oh, cool!" And we get to see some actual wrestling. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> I, I have this note about him as well. Like I, I remember being much more developed when I like knew knew of him. I I also went back and watched some of the older Sting matches because I really like uh, Sting versus Cactus Jack matches and stuff. He is you're absolutely right. He's just like face paint sting he's just like wild blonde sting he does not do anything else he only did stinger splashes and his finishes in this match and some selling and i know that's also the structure of the match and probably a lot to do with hulk 
but he has nothing else in his repertoire yet. He hasn't added to his character. One big thing I'll always take from wrestling, uh, Undertaker interviews. He says before he was the Undertaker, he actually moved at a pretty high pace. He did pretty high pace, high velocity matches. And he was kind of getting known for that because he's a pretty big guy doing it. And when he gets to be the Undertaker, he knows that's not his deal anymore. It's slow. It's plodding until it's not, until you can kick into high gear. And Sting hasn't changed anything. His high spots are the exact same. His like hell is like the exact same. And looking back on it a bit now, does he ever develop enough past what his old character was? You think? Yeah, I guess. I guess it will be interesting to see, and it will be interesting to see if maybe the first time I watched him, and like later than this, am I looking at rose tinted glasses because I thought he was so cool? Like I, I loved his character back then. Yeah, the, not not seeing it yet. Unfortunately, not a great. A second introduction, but like introduction of this character to the main event and Hogan doing him no favors. I would have loved to see a close match here as well because close both matches, I think Gus is absolutely right, are squashes essentially. Hogan's kind of getting squashed while not looking terrible at the end because they're screwy finishes. Yeah, the disappointing, uh, disappointing match. I, I, I do enjoy the finish though. I do like Randy getting involved because I, I think you need to have the, a big member of the NWO be a big deal at least. If you're having one of your marquee guys leave, like there needs to be re- repercussions for that. I, I like his involvement. I agree. I would have liked to see it slightly different, like to give Sting a moment. I would have I would have loved to see Sting finish the match instead of Randy hit Hogan. Randy hit some plebs and stopped the attack. Or Randy maybe convinced the NWO to, f- to fuck off, like stop them from coming near the ring at all. And I think that would have made it a really good visual. But as I said fantasy booking nothing we can do about it It just seems it takes a shine a little off staying while being the correct direction for andy so end of another episode guys uh interesting episode huge ups and downs from the pay-per-views but i want to ask you what you think overall and whose side are you on connor what do you think of the pay-per-view i actually think pay-per-view overall like it wasn't an amazing show but i i had fun watching it and i think it's rare so far that we, we haven't had numerous enjoyable pay-per-views in a row. So I 1998 continues to impress me so far. It's, you know, we, we haven't had the complete dumpster fire yet. So I, this is, uh, this is a welcome change. And as, as far as whose side I'm on, I think I'm going to be on Hoovy's side. Cause I, I just, I really feel for <laughs> the young wrestler. I, he feels like he's being taken advantage of. Yeah, it does. A Very little, strange. Yeah. I'm excited to see how his year progresses without a mask because he, he will have numerous matches on pay-per-view that we'll get to watch. How about you, Gus? What did you think of the overall pay-per-view and whose side are you on? Yeah, I think I'd echo a lot of what Connor just said. Um, by and large, a pretty decent to good pay-per-view. Once you are able to separate yourself from the upper echelons of the card and what it involves, there's there's plenty here that you're like, okay, they move some story along. There's a couple of characters who are kind of coming into their own because you kind of get Jericho and you have Goldberg and Booker, even if that was totally unintentional. Uh, <laughs> so you actually have lots to look forward to. You're like, OK, I'd like to see more of these guys. And there's the tire fire at the top, but you don't need to worry about that. Like uh, that's that's kind of drama in its own sense and it keeps you going. So, yeah, it's a pretty decent show. Um, God, whose side am I on, though? I, I mean, I guess I'm probably going to have to go with the one person who probably got everything exactly right the way it should be is Goldberg. So that's probably who I'm at because he's he's putting it together and that was a really, really good performance, especially after the one that we watched for our Patreon episode. 
which is a big contrast to that. So, yeah, Goldberg. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Fine, absolutely fine performance by Goldberg. As for myself, yeah, I like the pay-per-view. Like, I, as long as Hogan has control here, we're not going to get many good main events, and we've said that in the past. While the rest of the cards, pretty good. Like, unfortunately, the matches I'm enjoying most are the ones that involve no NWO, and that might be a lot because <laughs> the people booking aren't booking very well, and they they seem from all of, you know books and hearsay we've heard afterwards that if you're not in the NWO, you had a bit more free reign. You would just go go out have a match. We don't really Karen, Booker, Chris, UV, everyone did their jobs. Armstrong, Goldberg had a fantastic match Like for what it was. A lot of people that aren't involved in the main storyline are getting things right, and it's making for a very enjoyable first half of pay-per-views. As for my side, I guess the non-WCW WCW guys? The WCW guys aren't feuding against them, NWO. I'm on their side. <laughs> Just the, the whole faction. So the whole what? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's WCW, but not, but not, but not Lex Luger. I guess. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Everybody but Lex. Okay, sure. Yeah, everyone Lex. That's that's us for another edition of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Follow us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook under the handle WCW versus NWO podcast. Connor, where else can they find us? As Gus mentioned, uh, patreon.com slash WCW versus NWO podcast. Yeah, we did a whole short little episode about Goldberg wrestling Regal. We felt it didn't really feel like it fit into this episode because these episodes are long enough for me to edit. So I I wanted to do a (laughs) little or separate episode away from this because it's really a unique match. It was the first time I ever got to to watch it. So it was really fun to talk about. Um, You can also find us on Vimeo. That's also at WCW versus NWO podcast. From me, Connor and Gus, thanks for listening and join us next time when Hogan and Randy fight to a non-contest in more ways than one. It was like a combination springboard and big elbow from the top by Juventud Guerrero. Well, there's no, go ahead. There's no upgrading on that flight. There's just one class. Hoovy. Go ahead. You interrupted me for that line. Down he goes to the floor and... You mean you made me stop for that line? Rolling him now underneath to the middle of the ring.